What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's another hot New York City night. Humidity is not persist is persisting. It's not letting up. Uh, we're drinking bourbon. We moved on from the rosé. I had a nice uh, thirst-quenching rosé with John Newberry last night, and also a good conversation. Um, but tonight, I feel like we're going to get a little drunker. We're going to have a little bit more fun and less alert. We had fun with John last night. It's going to be uh, less technical than uh, the last episode. I'd like to introduce you freaks to Drew Bonsal. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me on, Marty. Thanks for coming on. For you freaks that don't know, Drew is an ex-physicist, uh, serial entrepreneur, and currently the co-founder at Unchained Capital. That's right. Um, I discovered you earlier this year with your your medium post on hot waves right that's right well uh we'll get to that mm-hmm. uh in due time first as always let's hear your tale how'd you find bitcoin from what i can tell it's a pretty interesting story right and we were we were <coughs> joking about this even on the way up here that i, I really enjoy telling the story because there's a person i'm looking for from this story that i've yet to reconnect with so i first heard about bitcoin in 2011 i was with um i was working at the last company that i had founded it was a big data and technology company it was called info chimps like information and monkeys um it was awesome we had we were we were we were a young company it was my first entrepreneurial thing i'd ever done i was at a conference in portland talking about my product i was really excited and one of the people who attended like this little event that we were having who you know was i guess somewhat interested in our technology or or what we were we were selling turned out just to be this fascinating character. He, he was a mathematician. He was wiry. Uh, he was wearing a kilt. Um, he had just so much unbounded energy. Was and he Scottish? No, I don't. I can't imagine in any way that he was Scottish. I I, I wish I could remember the man's name because then I could stereotype and decide where where he might have been from. But no, he was from Portland, as far as I know. He taught math at one of the, at, I think Portland State or something. Um, Really interesting guy, really smart, like, like clearly the kind of person that has his own, marches to his own drummer, so to speak. The, um, the event ends, and um, you know, uh, I, I was there with a friend from, from work, and the, she and I are just like, well, where do you want to go next? And this math guy's kind of hanging out with us. We've really enjoyed chatting with him so far, and so we proposed going to dinner. He says, I know this strip club that has like the best food. It's right next door, so we're all fine. When in Portland, <laughs> I heard that there are a lot of strip clubs in Portland. Fine, we'll go there. And my friend, she was awesome. She's a very cool person. She did not mind at all to go to a strip club where women were on display. Turned out not to matter because as soon as we got to the strip club, he started talking about Bitcoin and it was like, it wouldn't have mattered what else was <laughs> happening. We were just like, so explain it again, how this works. Like, so who has invented this thing? Like, why? What does it do? And what was this guy's pitch? It, he wasn't really pitching so much as he was honest. He was educating. He was in that evangelist phase. He's like, here's this thing I just learned about, which is amazing. I want I want you to learn about it. I feel like you could appreciate this. I want to tell you about it. He was in that enthusiast stage. Um, and God bless him. He was a mathematician, so he, he could speak to it at a high level. He could talk about you know cryptography and asymmetric functions and... And, and I'm kind of a math and physics guy, and so I could I could like throw I could catch what he was throwing, and I thought it was so cool. I thought it was like what a remarkably, in particular the 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 solution to the double spend problem, right? Proof of work as a solution to the digital double spend problem. Like what a cool thing to have thought of that also solves no actual problem that anyone has, and <laughs> I can't believe like it's so cool that people work on this, but this is also useless. But I, I mean. 
mathematicians, right? So it's, it's sort of par for the course with mathematicians that they work on cool things that are completely useless um, and are proud of that, in fact, I think. If you've ever read like the Mathematician's Apology, it's like very much the way a mathematician likes to live their lives. And so... Um, Is it a form of masochism? I think it's a form of virtue signaling. Like, okay. I'm so smart that I can choose to work on the most esoteric and useless <laughs> things and I'll still have a career, um, <laughs> I guess. Or maybe just the esoteric is what's interesting. And, and so certainly I was interested in the idea. I was like, this is really cool that you've come up with this scheme that I accept solves this problem. But I, I just, I couldn't see why that mattered. Like, why are you working on this? Who cares? You know, like, I didn't, I didn't have any money at that time. I knew nothing about how money worked. I didn't, I mean, I guess 2008 had just happened, but like a few years mm. before, but it hadn't really affected me. I was, I was a young entrepreneur. And before that, I was a physicist. So I was sort of outside of the realms that were most directly impacted by, by what, let's say the government bailout of the banks or, or other things that um, if you were more aware perhaps, or if I, if I thought perhaps the way that I do now, I would have been way more clued in and I would have maybe found Bitcoin myself, but I didn't know anything about that stuff. And so I, I, I heard his tale as like, this is, this is just esoteric. I'm just absorbing this as like, you could be telling me about a cool math theorem, like mm -hmm. uh, the Banach-Tarski paradox. And it's so <laughs> cool that one sphere can turn into two, but like it has no utility in the world. Like I'm glad it exists, but it doesn't matter. And then I ignored it. I never did anything with it. I certainly didn't buy any Bitcoin in 2011 because I guess I didn't have any money, but it wouldn't have mattered because any what I, that I would have bought, I you know would have been, it would have been an amazing decision, but I didn't do it. I completely just forgot about that conversation, went back to my startup, and years later, years later, 2013, um, I wound up selling my startup, that same one that I've been working on, and I made a little cash, and I heard about Bitcoin, and the price was in 2011 when I was when he was telling me about it. The price was less than a dollar. You know, it had almost no price to yeah. speak of, which is part of why I dismissed it. I was like, "This is not a real thing." And then in 2013, it was already up to like a couple hundred bucks, and it's like, "Whoa, how is that possible? Like, how did that happen in the intervening two years?" Like, I found myself because I understood what Bitcoin was trying to do. I did not necessarily from the monetary policy, or mm -hmm. I didn't really get it as a tool of economics, but I understood like from a technology perspective what this thing does, the problem that it solves. And I was like, there's no way that it's worth $200 a coin now because other people also find that cool and compelling. Like, like there's some, I'm sure, that are into Bitcoin because of how novel of a solution it is to this problem, but it's got to be doing something for people. That's the only reason it could be worth so much, right? So much being a measly a billion bucks or whatever. Relatively right? at the time. At the time, right? Yes. Like, like, a couple hundred dollars of Bitcoin, that's a lot of money for <laughs> just a, a thing that you made up that I could fork, right? Like, like mm -hmm. I understood that how much social consensus was part of the value of Bitcoin even then. And it was remarkable to me that, like, who are these people that have given it this value? Who, who, are, the, who are these, you know, now you might use the phrase hodlers of last resort, right? Or who are these people that are creating that, that foundation? Um, and then I started to dig. And I was like, why? Like, like, okay, then you figure out that there's this whole group of people that believes, you know, let's say Austrian economics or finite money supply or various other things. I'm like... Maybe I'm a little older and I have some money now, so I'm starting to invest it. So I'm starting to get concerned with like how much, how where's money come from? How does one grow it? Like mm -hmm. I've gotten a little bit of a win here at age like 30. How do I turn this win into a happy life at age 65? You know, like I'm starting to finally think about long-term growth of money, and I'm looking at wow, inflation—that's crazy. Like all these things that you know 
fancy guys at Goldman will try to sell me because that's what happens if, if, if you never had this experience. Uh, if you sell a company, you will just get tons of mail um, from everybody trying to get to manage your money, regardless of how much or how little you have actually made. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd get these letters and I'd maybe entertain some of them because they would be like, oh, I'm Goldman Sachs. Oh, you're Goldman. I should listen to Goldman. You're famous, right? And it's like, mm, you send an extremely attractive woman who doesn't know anything about how to actually manage money. And she's very attractive, but um, it's not what I was looking for. It's not it's not going to make me feel like you're doing the best job for my money long term. Um, but during that phase of learning about how to grow money and how to invest, I, I, I just decided to buy Bitcoin. And thank God that I did because, mm -hmm. you know, it was a great move. I held on to it for a long time. It's obviously grown so much. But more than that, it, it kicked off like the real phase of my own interest, right? Like a sports team or, or anything else. You know, like once you're like, once you get emotionally attached to it by buying some, I think you, you start to notice it everywhere. You start to want to learn about it more. You start to obsessively think about like, what is this thing that I bought a piece of? Um, so that's how I got started. And I, I want to just close that little segment by <laughs> requesting again, weird Portland math kill guy. If you are out there listening, man, please get in touch. I'm Drew at Unchained Capital. I really want to hang out with you um, and talk more about you know, what happened to you. I was just so curious. What <laughs> I want to know too. Yeah. If you're out there. Did you become a hot Drew, if he, come, if he reaches out to you, uh, tell him to reach out to me because I'd love to have him on on the show with yeah, the kilt, uh, yeah. to figure out who knows how many people he radicalized back in 2011 <laughs> right like, I wonder if he's a buck coiner now maybe he's on our buck coin maybe no. it's better that he's just a legend and I don't know anything <laughs> about him right um, you don't want to meet uh, you don't want to meet this mystified legend that you've built up in your mind mind over the years right so how did you get from 2013 buying to becoming the co-founder of right of um, Unchained so my, the business that I had sold in 2013, InfoChimps, was uh, very much like a cloud computing, big data, um, distributed systems. So I had, with my kind of educational background, I had a good grasp for like the fundamentals around cryptography and computing. And then this company helped me learn a lot about distributed systems. I was so, I was so primed to like enter Bitcoin. I, I, I was just feeling like almost, wow, I, I, was, I was made to like be in this field. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like I'm a nerd for about all the things that you need to be good at to be good at Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. But I was so reticent. I think um, I'd been through a cycle of, you know, raising money, building up a company, going through customers, like the, the rich periods, the lean periods, eventually selling that company, like having a great success at it. And I saw how much of that was luck. I saw how much of that was things I couldn't control. Like mm -hmm. the market suddenly deciding in 2013 that, you know, they desperately needed to buy companies like mine and then my company getting bought. It was a great outcome. But two years earlier, it could never have happened. Mm -hmm. Two years later, there have been so many companies like mine that perhaps I wouldn't have stuck out as much. Um, so timing was a huge part of it. Um, we sort of joked at the time, Joe, my co-founder and I, uh, he was also my co-founder at InfoChimps, we joked like the best thing we did with that whole company is we started a Bitcoin company, excuse me, we started a big data company in 2008. Mm -hmm. And it almost doesn't matter right? what that company does. If, the, if you can survive to 2013 and you've been this big data company and you've been creating value and you've been accruing knowledge in your team, like you just, you just have so much value. And so it's 20, we worked for our acquirer for about a year, 20, end of 20, early 2015 now, we've both quit. We're both just like out there, like, you know, bought condos, got engaged, like living life, <laughs> um, doing a lot of stuff we, we, we maybe could have done when we were building the first company, but we didn't. And it became like, well, what do you want to do next? Because we, we knew we wanted to work together again. We knew we wanted to build another company. And, and now we were, we were somebody's now to a certain extent, right? Mm -hmm. that we, we had sort of 
we've been blessed that we had a company, we sold the company, so now we can get meetings. Um, we're data guys, right? That's what everyone thinks of us <laughs> as. We, we did one thing, so now we're that thing. We're data guys. So we should become data guys. Let's go start a data company. Let's look at the data around the food industry or construction or various other kinds of things. And um, it just... That's what we felt we should do, but the reality was every night we would be learning about Bitcoin. We'd be like reading more about Bitcoin, like yo, Ether is coming out. Like there's all the other <laughs> stuff happening, um, and we just—it was clear that that's where our obsession and our interest lay. And so it kind of became like, uh, I have no discipline or willpower. So if I can be in love with what I'm working on, I'll work on it all day long, and I'll do a great job. And if and if I'm not, I'm going to put it off. I'm going to procrastinate. And so yeah. I was in love with this. I was like, I could do this all day long. Like, I, I, could, I feel in my bones I could spend years learning about this field and getting good at it. I knew that. But then the question was like, is it, is it a good call? And I think in 2011, I mean, I would have had to be a little bit more courageous of a person to yeah. have decided to build a Bitcoin or crypto company. But by the time 2015 was happening, it felt like, so much had already occurred that like there was a certain amount of de-risking. I, 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 there was so much risk. All Coinbase all. was three years in. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, blockchain, Bitstamp. Yeah. There were hardware around. wallets. Now there were there were secondary services people were starting to build and think about. Like mm-hmm. Bitcoin had collapsed from a thousand bucks, but it hadn't died. Like that was amazing mm-hmm. that it didn't it didn't die. Like yeah, stayed Lord, alive. Lord Asterisk was short and uh, all mm-hmm. the way on the way back up to eight hundred from two fifty. That's yeah. right. indeed, indeed, <laughs> and it's just like. We know at some point we're, we're talking about, well, what is it in 2020 that is going to be big data again? Like mm-hmm. in 2022, the companies are going to be like falling over themselves. That we got, what's our, this strategy, right? And and eventually we just, it, we were like, it's going to be blockchain. Like mm-hmm. maybe like AI, maybe like drone, maybe some other things. I don't know. But nothing had the intersection of like the growth potential, um, our suspicion that a few years from now people would be like death clamoring to be in it as well as it's interesting and like we'd be good at it mm-hmm. and so 2015 i think we decided joe and i all right we're doing this like no more data companies like screw it if the world thinks we're data guys that's fine we're not anything guys where we can be the kind of guys we want to be we can be bitcoin guys if we want to be let's let's figure out how to be that um yeah why but, why pigeonhole yourself right a little bit yeah i don't yeah. like it um no. and then it became but what to build right mm-hmm. okay so we've decided we're going to be bitcoin guys but like what exactly are we going to build <laughs> and um and we didn't know initially i think we had this thesis like exchanges existed wallets existed like that stuff was there we probably don't want to do that we want to do something that's just one step away from that right mm-hmm. something that people aren't quite thinking about yet but in retrospect would obviously have to exist in order for the ecosystem to grow and so we identified a bunch of things like loans, lending, or actually, let's even pause before we got to that, because we're data guys, we looked at data. We're like, mm-hmm. let's dump the entire blockchain. Let's look at the UTXOs. Like, how often do they move? Like, can we, is there something in there that helps us? And those HODL waves graphs that we made and we published this year, like we made the first version of that chart way back in 2015. Oh, really? And we looked at it and we're like, because I, I kind of knew that like people don't really spend their Bitcoin. Like I didn't really spend mine. I made a couple joke transactions, you know, like uh, just to just to try it. But I had no intention of spending it because it's going to go up in value, right? That was it's a speculative investment after all. Um, so when we looked at the data, and at that time, I think some 60% of all UTXOs were just like, or 60% of Bitcoin by volume was older than 12 months, right? We were mm-hmm. in the middle of the Bitcoin winter. Um, and that was shocking because like, I knew it would be a lot, but I didn't expect it to be that much. 60%? 60%. Of, I think we're down to some 40% now of Bitcoin is older than 12 months. We've had a lot of motion in the last uh, in the last year. Yeah. And for you freaks out there that don't know the way you can measure 
uh, how old a UTXO is, the stat is called uh, Bitcoin day de- Days Destroyed, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good summary statistic of it. I think with our HODL waves data, which you can just Google it, you'll find our the Unchained Capital blog. But those graphs in particular are really nice because mm-hmm. they give you like more fine-grained. They're, they, they're the fine-grained version of Days Destroyed. Instead of getting one number, you'll get you know 10 or 15 numbers based on each age band that we chose to define. Yeah, so let's jump into the HODL waves. Like how right. do you guys like... It's a, it's a, an incredible phenomenon to sort of observe in yeah, retrospect. Yeah, it is cool. You can see, I mean, we're looking at it now on, on my laptop, but it's crazy how, like, the price dictates a lot of, like, how, how strong or weak hands are at a certain point. Like, everybody has yeah. a price level where yeah. it's like, all right, I'm going to cash out a little bit. And you can clearly see that with these, these graphs that you guys put together. I, I think there's some, there's some cyclicness there, too, that, like, you know... I want to come back to like a little bit more like what's in this graph, but get, we made the first version of this in 2015, and it was clear at 2015 that a lot of Bitcoin isn't used for anything. It just sits mm-hmm. around. And so that became like, oh my God, that's so tragic because Bitcoin is this programmable, like futuristic, cool thing. Like, why is it just sitting around as though it's mattress money? And like the answer is because there's nothing to do with it. You can buy it, you can sell it, or you can hodl it. Those are your choices. And so it struck us that we should endeavor to create new choices, mm-hmm. that we should build new options for those who have decided that they want to be in the, in the currency for a long time, lending, um, vaulting, buying protection derivatives, like there's fixed income. There's a lot of things you might want that aren't selling, or, but are unavailable. Mm-hmm. And so like sort of 2015, it's 2015, we've made this data set, we've seen the truth that a lot of Bitcoin isn't spent. Um, we started to interview. We started to interview customers or potential customers. Like, what what do you want? You know, Bitcoin. There's a lot of Bitcoin whales in Austin and in New York and in California. And we have good networks there. And so we just started asking. Like, say we were going to build something, what would you want it to be? And what emerged um, was that loans and lending was something everybody was interested in. Like, mm-hmm. I love the ability to get cash from my Bitcoin without having to sell my Bitcoin. Prices are super low right now. Like. Um, so on and that was actually a really nice intersection with regulations too so mm-hmm. it turns out regulations around the lending industry are are much less than let's say around um let's say selling uh derivatives or okay. other kinds of more complicated products like you don't have to deal with the sec you don't have to deal with the cftc um asset-based lending which is the category of product we would fall would fall under is chiefly regulated by the states mm-hmm. and in many states like texas um you can just do it you don't need a license. Um, there are some rules you have to follow. There's some disclaimers, um, but you can get started right away. In other states like tech, like um, California, you do need a license. There's a little bit of work. Um, some places are intermediary, um, but just the combination of the data tells us that no one's people aren't spending it. Um, they say they want loans, and loans are regulations-wise easier to deliver, and they're financially easy to model. It was very clear. Like, let's start with loans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to come. We can come back to the loans, but maybe it would be a good thing to dig into the the HODL wave chart a little bit, since that's ultimately what led to this kind of you know yeah. business hypothesis. Cool. Um, right. So at the end of the day, this is this is Drew. This is me being a physicist and being like, I don't understand this phenomenon. Like, I need data. I need to mm-hmm. see things. I need to like salve like that visual part of my brain before i can feel i even understand what the hell is happening here um so what did you do spin up your own node and pull data from that or uh, were you pulling from yeah other sources i mean i started by trying to get just look at the price trying to look at average volumes but very quickly you realize that like it's too slow to go through apis and mm-hmm. i'm a good programmer and 
I can get all the data for free by just running a node, <laughs> right. which I was like, I kind of want to do anyway. So yeah, that's what we did. We just started running nodes mm -hmm. and each node, the first thing it does when it boots up is it goes downloads all the historical data for you. Um, and so we did that. And then we started looking at various code bases that existed. Um, there was a really good one that Rusty Russell put out called Bitcoin Iterate. Rusty mm -hmm. Russell is a core dev and a lightning developer. Rusty Russell's got some great tutorials out there. Yeah, dude. Actually, my favorite one that I share often is his one on cold storage. Uh, it's a very thorough uh, front to back sort of explainer on uh, different levels of cold storage. If you haven't read that yet, look mm -hmm. it up. It's in, on GitHub somewhere. No, and... and He's done actually so much that's cool. He wrote that article about like expect them to change twenty one million, which like really that helped define my thinking on that on that issue. I always I I think like many I had taken that idea of twenty one million bitcoins as like a sacrosanct limit. Like of course that could never change. I would argue. I would argue. I'm in that sacrosanct. Uh camp well, I, I think i would like for it to be that way mm -hmm. but rusty's article that the one i'm referring to makes a really good point that like no people will act to change it like there will be politics around it people will want to fork to double the limit or whatever like and it gives these great reasons like why it will happen and you can exactly see like as someone that i mean this article is being written in the middle of like the block size debate and it's just like i remember this i remember this vaguely it's just short-term and long-term yeah. desire that's it and so what he says basically and this won't happen for what? Like 50, 100 years? We don't, we don't saturate the actual limit until 2100 something, but we get yeah. really close within the next five or 10 years. 21, yeah. Yeah. I mean, by 2028 or 2032, I believe. It's almost I all believe in our mind, yeah. 20. 20,998,000 or something like Some that. Some crazy amount. Yeah, almost all yeah. of them are mined within the first 30 years yeah. of Bitcoin's history, um, which is remarkable. That's a that's a decision that Satoshi made without a lot of evidence, presumably. They just chose that they wanted it to be that way, but um, whatever. Um, so Rusty's awesome. Rusty wrote a, a bit of code called Bitcoin Iterate, mm -hmm. which I suspect by reading it, it's the kind of thing that Rusty wrote. He mu I've never met him, but I, I imagine he wrote it while drinking on a Saturday afternoon and like, it represents a tiny amount of work for him and he never really came back to it. I mean, he did. He came back to it occasionally um, and patched it up a little bit. Eventually, he got it to work with Segwit. Someone contributed a patch. But it's very, it's for, I think for Rusty, a very much a side project. For mm -hmm. us, it became very much a main thing that we spent a lot of time working with this tool so we could extract the data we wanted from the Bitcoin blockchain and make plots like this one um, as well as others. Um, there's better tooling out there, I think, these days now. There's a really mm -hmm. cool project called um, BlockSci. Um, a friend of mine, Arvind, um, and Princeton, he has a really great research group that puts out like amazing content. You should definitely have him on the show. He's a stupendous speaker and awesome guy. Um, he's got a new piece of code that his team has been putting out called BlockSci, S-C-I, which is, um, I think, the next evolution mm -hmm. for if you're really trying to do data science on blockchains, you should probably use that tool. But yeah, so we started with Rusty's tool and we just started pushing out everything we could about this. And it was very much like I had a couple of interns at this point and I think they'll laugh that like, I didn't know what I was looking for. I was just like, <laughs> I said, no, I don't understand Bitcoin well enough. And I know it has tons of data that other people aren't talking about. Show me all of it. Like show me all these slices. I want to see it bend like this. I want to see UTXOs and in, UTXOs in particular, because they're not a thing that's sitting in a block. Like they are the result of having parsed a sequence of blocks and then you know something about the UTXOs. Therefore, it's a little bit harder to go to like, you know, blockchain.info and just see UTXOs at a block, right? Like you see transactions in the block, you see all this other stuff that's written into the blockchain, but UTXOs are calculated, not, not written down. And so in particular, I felt that analyzing the UTXO set of Bitcoin would be like 
really valuable. Mm-hmm. There's stuff there that we don't we're not talking about yet. And some of that stuff is like, you know, the the huddle waves and I think I didn't really see this wave like phenomenon until 2017. Right? That if you think about this chart, I made it in 2015, so this entire last third is just missing mm-hmm. the first time I looked at it and it and the 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 cyclical nature of of the rallies that occur in Bitcoin was just it was sort of implicitly there like i know that bitcoin has had rallies mm-hmm. but i didn't see how those rallies then manifest themselves in the underlying like holding patterns within the actual protocol mm-hmm. and that eventually you can see that pattern get terminated as the price rises to some critical threshold and what might have been further hodling gets replaced with just massive selling because people are like gains 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 <laughs> right? right um and that's uh so how much from this can you glean like can you tell I mean, it's probably impossible to tell, but like how distributed, how much more distributed Bitcoin is after all these hodl waves, you know? I think that's yeah. definitely one lesson. It's not le- it's not data that's obvious in the blockchain itself yeah. because yeah. I think Bitcoin by design does a good job to de-anonymize who's got it. It doesn't do a perfect job, as we all know, mm-hmm. um, but it does an okay job. And we just know that each of these waves has been so much larger, right? Each of the cohorts that has bought in in 2011 versus 2013 versus 2017, each cohort has been larger by a factor of 10 than mm-hmm. the one before it, right? And the amount of Bitcoin, actually, I was just looking at this in detail for um, a separate thing, but roughly, like in rough terms, in each of those waves, it's been about 20 to 25% of the then supply that moved. Okay. Like, and that's been somewhat consistent that like, like any, yeah, in 2013, about 20 to 25% of Bitcoin was quickly sold, like during the big run up, right, to a thousand. And indeed to 19K in 2017, it was also coincidentally around 20 to 25% of Bitcoin at that time, which was presumably sold. Again, it's hard to know exactly what happened to it, but it was definitely moved for the first time in many years. Yeah. If you actually go look, you will see that today, like I think this chart is, is already updated for the latest moment in time, but like right now there's 20 to 25% of Bitcoin, which is sitting in the category that we define as six to 12 months old. And it's no mm-hmm. surprise because if that's all the coin that was moved around December, or January, that is now then gracefully aging because people aren't <laughs> moving it anymore, right? It's, it's just sitting there. It's not continuously trading because that rally is over. And people are like, I don't know what's going on anymore, right? They're just, they're, they're sitting on it. And the same pattern is like, it's so clear that that same pattern of a new cohort of people that's vastly larger, that bought it at a vastly higher price point, has acquired this stuff. The weak hands got flushed right away mm-hmm. as the price collapsed from 19K <laughs> to whatever, 6K, right? You can see that. You can see like, you can see that in the, in, the, in the data. And then what's left is like a new large group of people who are like, what the hell did I just buy? And they don't need to like, sell it they're not necessarily eager to have gains if they were they would have already sold that's already happened mm-hmm. so now we're left with the hodlers it's the same pattern like i was a hodler from a generation prior like there are new ones that are being minted right now mm-hmm. um, or that were minted i should say this last year and then how many of the old hodlers do you think stick around like a good portion of them and they're, they're just do you imagine they're just selling a portion of their bitcoin at local yeah. highs i just, think there's a good amount because like, yeah. it, like a good fraction of the bitcoin which was sold in 2017 was from 2011 right like, yeah like there is coin that was more than five years old that was moved for the first time ever um during 2017 it's crazy to think it's crazy that we can track that it's like, you cool know, you right can't, you can't track it for anything else there's right? no other asset class in the universe that has this level of detail around it and so that's what like do you think this is like a healthy adoption pattern like a healthy cyclical pattern for distribution uh, healthy for adoption is healthy is 
I don't know. I don't know what's healthy. <laughs> um, it's it's interesting. Like like so, there maybe there's an analogy, right? Like, and I keep approaching this as a physicist, right? Like I know this is ultimately squishy human data and behavior, but like there's so many of us in aggregate that we become hard somewhere, like in the numbers, right? And it feels like what I see is it. The halving has got to be part of this story somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have these rallies and obviously price drives action, but action also drives price. The rallies are related to the halvings in some way. Um, what's remarkable to me though is that Satoshi chose this extremely discreet shelf-like structure for how to reduce the um, block subsidy over time, that, right? Mm -hmm. That it's 50 for a solid thousands and thousands of blocks right whatever 200,000 blocks or something crazy and then it drops to 25 immediately like one block to the next it drops to 25 like mm -hmm. immediately it's half as much and then that sticks around for thousands of blocks and then it immediately drops to 25 excuse me 12.5 it's not gradual it's not that block one is 50 and then block two is 49.99999 mm -hmm. and then we just sort of you know there's you could have worked it out so that the integral if you want of all the bitcoin produced would be roughly the same today. Mm -hmm. We'd still have roughly 17, 18 million coins today as we as we would, but you could have set it up to be very smooth. Yeah. And I almost, I, I've been thinking a lot recently about like why wasn't that done that way? Like why was it chosen to be like these discrete phases um, that create these moments of spectacular change and profitability for the network? And some people argue it was to reward the early adopters for the risk they took when people thought they were crazy for even thinking about Bitcoin. Um, mm -hmm. Are you under that? I mean, like, yeah, you can argue that, like, having it start out high and then become low is a way of rewarding it. But then why still not do it gradually, mm -hmm. right? Like, you guys, it could have been 50 all the way down to 25 really smoothly yeah. or something like that. Or you, could have, or you could have picked some, not at, at least not as sudden as a step function change, mm -hmm. right? And for me, it almost feels like it reminds me of things like, you know, diffraction patterns with light or or a, wa or a breaker at the beach, right? Where you have these continuous waves that are coming in and they hit this very discrete structure. And like the tip of that structure now starts emanating its own reaction mm -hmm. patterns. It's like, it's like, it's this, it's this physical discrete thing that's like messing up this continuous world. And I kind of feel like there's something like that, right? Where there's mm -hmm. this, there's just this phenomenon that's happening there's this continual growing interest it growing and waning right as just people's right. attention shifts to all sorts of stuff in the world and then periodically there's just this hard edge suddenly there's half as many bitcoins being made and it just and then it creates its own waves right it creates these reverber reverberations throughout the entire ecosystem and it's weird because like you know it's happening you know it's going to happen like but from that perspective, like the wave coming in from the ocean knows the baker on some level is there. It's right. just, it, you won't see the reaction until it actually hits. And so I think similarly, like we all know that the halving is coming in 2020, but like some weird shit is going to go down as that happens, regardless of the fact that we know about it, because it just, the discreteness of that event, like causes an echo somehow in like all our behavior collectively. And there's always narratives around it too, like confusing narrative. Like in the last yeah. one was the, the, the block the block, uh, the block, block size, size wars thing, right, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but you find like the liquidity crunch is so strong that 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 basically creates a FOMO, which is like, all right, you need to get some now. And maybe that would never happen if it were continuous. That like maybe humans need that ice shock of like right? a sudden change to like fix their shit. You know, like oh my god, I really should buy Bitcoin. <laughs> exactly. I really should start mining. Well, I you know whatever. what? Maybe that is the. That is the catalyst, is mining in particular, where it's like, all right, 
we've, we've got entered it. phase two. Exactly. Yeah. Where it's soon like, we'll be in phase three. It's going to get harder and harder. You're going to make less and less money. If you're thinking about quitting your job and starting, you should do it now. So that maybe that would be, that actually sounds like a good argument. Like maybe it's a uh, lockstep like that, or well, how did you describe it? Uh, step function. Step functions, right. Step yeah. function like that is to create mining FOMO where it's I mean, like, it's, it's clear that Satoshi gotta, was a master of human psychology right? in some ways, at least, right? Like got to create, yeah. Got to turn my machines on now mm-hmm. while I can get 12 and a half Bitcoin before it gets down to 6.25. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by doing that, you just so happen to secure the network. So thank you, miners. Um, and I mean, and like we are seeing fees increase, which is also remarkable. Like fees are like some 10, 20% of what miners are earning these days. And it was used to be zero as recently mm-hmm. as just a year or two ago. Well, this is going to bring me, it's been like bothering me in my head now. This is why I don't think we're going to need inflation at the end of the day. I mean, like, yeah, in theory, like the fees keep going up Mm -hmm. and we're able to, but like, so you have, that's a continuous thing, right? Like there's no, there's no forced discrete structure or step functions in the fee market. It's just the fee market is what it is. But there will be a sufficient, there will be a a equilibrium, right? At some point, like Mm -hmm. the market's going to have to find it, uh, at least the way Bitcoin is designed now. Um, And so the argument is, do you add overt inflation or do you add? Or do you keep the overt inflation, or not overt inflation, but overt cost, which is subsidizing the network via fees, or sort of hidden cost, which is via inflation? Yeah, I mean, it, like the fees thing is is so. I've heard the arguments in the opposite direction that like users don't like fees. It's easier to charge for things when they're hidden. But like mm-hmm. on some level, I like how plain this is. Like right? I mean, Bitcoin is just it's extremely plain. You know what you're getting. Yeah, it's written in the code. Mm-hmm. It's you can literally track when the happenings are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's scheduled the way the uh, the way the the pace that blocks are being produced at the moment. I think May twenty fifth, twenty twenty, is the next having. Um, but no, that's what that's what drew me to it. It's like, and that's what I get annoyed with all the shit coins out there. Is like the keep it simple, stupid mindset just makes right. the most sense. Like people can't see the novelty and its simplicity where it's like, you know what you're getting. And that sense of certainty and security is all you need to plan for the future. Like you have this stable, uh, basically town center ledger that you know is not going to change or be changed. And you have that certainty. And from there you can go take risk outside of that. Um, and it turns out, of course, that certainty has nothing to do with code and everything to do with the humans that run yes, that code. Yes, exactly. And, and Bitcoin and Bitcoin maximalists, I suppose, and Bitcoin supporters have, for better or worse, really aligned themselves with, no, we are like conservative and we are simple and we want like a really predictable like value robustness and anti-censorship and safety of our money supply above almost every other thing that you could think of, right? Like, Yeah. Um, However, I, I find myself agreeing more and more and more with that <laughs> approach. Um, I think it's the sanest approach because if you consider how ambitious the problem that is trying to be solved here is, which is the wholesale replacement of all human money, it's like <laughs> don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. Exactly. You know? um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like or I, I would argue that Bitcoin does need a few more upgrades before it's what I would consider successful when it comes to like fungibility and stuff like that. Like. This is, something, yeah, this is something I've been thinking about recently, which kind of like, it makes me a little bit sad on some level. It's, I've really enjoyed all the data science work I've been doing, and like, I love mm-hmm. making these plots. It's amazing to me that, as we've discussed, like, this is the only asset class that will give you this level of transparency into how it internally operates across the entire market. It's amazing. Um, but we also know that Bitcoin doesn't scale. 
mm-hmm. there's no way we actually replace sound like we become sound money with the transaction volume that we can currently support um it's completely impossible like the tiniest number of people in the world today know and use bitcoin it's and it's barely able to keep up with right. that so we need like second layers we need off-chain scaling we need the lightning network we need systems that we can decide to use and like put a little bit of trust in put a little bit of de- of centralization into um they're a little bit less quote-unquote principled in that way if you want them bitcoin mm-hmm. but they're going to give us and deliver so much scalability and usability that's worth it it's a good trade-off but one thing that um i won't say galls me it um i expect it and, and I'm, I'm eager for it to happen i want the lightning network to succeed and grow but um i feel i suppose melancholy about the idea that one of the outcomes of that, if that's really successful, is that this, what we've been talking about, this era in which everything we do is written to the blockchain, mm-hmm. that ends. Yeah. We enter this new era where like, yeah, okay, large settlement transactions wind up on the chain. If you're a big wig and you're doing a big transaction, that's on the chain. Maybe if you bought a house and you had to move 100K, that might be your one or two times in your life that you use the chain directly. But most of your things that you buy will be on the Lightning Network. Yeah. And that means they're not written down. They're not, net, well, I mean, they're sort of written down in the sense that they're like, they're logs in various private servers, but they're not on a blockchain. For, People have to share it. Yeah, they're info. not public. They're not waiting for Dhruv to go later on and analyze <laughs> years later. And so I kind of feel like, let's get another physics guy analogy, but like, <laughs> like the Big Bang starts out with this period of like history that's like, we can't see it because there's too much shit in the universe and like mm-hmm. light couldn't like pass through it and we're blind. Um, in a certain way and then there's this era like suddenly everything transitions and the universe becomes transparent and like now we can see through it we can see really really far but the further back we look eventually we'll reach that place where light can't penetrate and that's the beginning of the universe's history and we're sort of blind again and um, I think that uh, I forgot what the, the astronomers word for this it's, it's a provocative name they give to this period where suddenly the universe becomes transparent it's like the opposite thing is happening in Bitcoin mm-hmm. where we're starting out because everything is written to chain we're in this incredible era of transparency I can go right back to the Genesis block I can look at the timings and this is one of my favorite articles out there talks about how m- like how much Bitcoin does Satoshi have ultimately goes back to looking at the timings and the rate of mining in the first six months of Bitcoin based on like non-stata which is embedded in winning blocks of the original like first thousand blocks in the chain that's incredible that's like that's like it's like it reminds me of physicists going back and looking at early stars to determine nucleosynthesis or something crazy right it's that era is ending like we're about to in the next five years transition into a layer two dominated transaction universe where not a lot of stuff is written to chain my ability to make claims around what's happening macroscopically by just writing code and running it over one copy of the blockchain that i've got um it's not sufficient anymore well maybe that's another beautiful part of satoshi's design he's sort of uh i'll take a a quote from Bitcoin sign guy here. He was able to hold hold back fire on Bitcoin by making it seem transparent and uh, very mm-hmm. easy to track for our authorities and stuff like that, where you could sort of lull them into a false sense of security, knowing, because it's well known at BitcoinTalk.org, like him and Hal Finney were talking about second layer settlement mm-hmm. layers, like Bitcoin banks on a second layer and stuff like that. Um, maybe it was necessary to lull this the authorities that may have shut down bitcoin into that false sense of security so it can get to a point like i was talking about this with john newberry last night like 
42 exahash a second now. It was 6 exahash a second this time last year, literally year to date. Uh-huh. It's gone 7x, so this the network is 7x more secure and 7x that much harder to attack. And now you're seeing things like Lightning and if Schnorr signatures and mm-hmm, Taproot get, mm-hmm, get, mm-hmm. get merged in, like privacy and fungibility is going to be a thing that nobody can... And I th- I'm glad that you guys see that and talk about it because I don't think enough people think of Lightning Network as a privacy gain. Oh, it I is. Think, I mean, it's always talked about as a scalability thing, and mm-hmm. it is, but it's absolutely a privacy gain. Like, mm-hmm. um, I, I wish I just, I wish I sometimes didn't have a company to worry about. So I could spend all my time like poking around <laughs> code and like and analyzing things. It'd be so cool. But like, I'm really, really curious about like how topology and routing will happen in the Lightning Network. Right, because yeah, like, that's like the big question, right? It's the only question yeah. in my mind. I mean, the Lightning Network—it's two two words, right? Lightning Network. The Lightning part is easy. Like it's just bidirectional payment cha- easy. I'm gonna get—it's hard, guys, but it's the easier of the two parts. Um, we could have done bidirectional payment channels via email years ago, right? Mm-hmm. It's like that's not the mysterious part. Like it's well crafted, and like the code that I've read recently, like it seems to work. Like we've got a good, like. I like some of the suggestions, like like Peter Wool and stuff, been making recently to make it even stronger. But like already, it works. But the, the that's the lightning part. The network part of the lightning network. That's the hard part. That's the that's the mysterious. That's the magic part. Like how are you going to create a network that has is just is 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 just centralized enough to give you the throughput you want, but remains decentralized enough so it's not just everyone's routing through PayPal servers. Yeah, and the hardest obstacle is keeping nodes running, right? And you don't get to control how people join your network. You're not in charge of it. Like you have to create distributed incentives which cause it to balance exactly rightly across these two different ways of failing. Well, and going back to perfect incentive systems, mm-hmm. like. You didn't stay for the Bitblock Boom conference. You went I back to Austin. Not. I yeah. did, yeah. I had to run out. But uh, Nick Batia explaining I saw it. Lightning yeah. Network reference rates, like that will maybe incentivize. I'm extremely excited like, about that. People to to make it so it's easy to set up nodes and stuff like that, so that people can ac- get access to interest rates and stuff like, or gain interest on their Bitcoin. And um, I think I, I love that idea. I, I've for a long time been waiting for the Lightning Network to be, quote unquote, become real so that companies like my own can't thank you companies like my own can participate in that because i think you're right like as a hodler myself like one of the things i'm looking forward to the most is when the coins i already hold can spin off some like income for me that would be right? so wonderful like it would make a meaningful difference in my life if that were the case and i know that there are ways to get income from bitcoin today or cryptocurrency more generally one can engage in leverage day trading there's a variety of somewhat risky functions mm-hmm. to this, but like there's no equivalent of quote unquote, the risk-free rate of return, which right. is I think really what Nick is targeting when he talks about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's such a crucial aspect of, of valuation because if there's no risk-free rate of return, there's no natural um, null hypothesis, right? For when mm-hmm. you consider investment decisions, yep. right? Like, should I invest in this thing? Well, like if I don't, I'll keep my money in the savings account. It's going to hit me 2% a year or whatever it is. Like, so I got to be like, it's sort of, you know, you have this basis that you understand in fiat for what you have to get past. And in Bitcoin, it's zero. The answer mm-hmm. is zero. Can like, you know almost anything because you can't make money from Bitcoin today. We can't make, should we say, you can't make more Bitcoins from owning Bitcoin today. No. Um, and you can with the Lightning Network. And when that becomes a thing, quote unquote, like in theory, there does arise a very natural in protocol, like in ecosystem 
fairly riskless way of getting back a return. And That's it's, important. And it's a completely emergent rate. It's not like it's dictated to the market. No one chooses it. That's right. True. And yeah. that's that's the most fascinating part to me. Like, so I came from like a managed teacher's background. Mm-hmm. You freaks have heard this too many times. I bring this up too many times. But part of my job was following uh, central bank announcements and how they manipulate interest rates. I had to follow LIBOR rate every day and all that stuff. And it's like it's wild to me that the announcement that LIBOR rates were manipulated was not like a bigger deal. Right. Well, it was a pretty big deal. Like in the finance sector but people mm-hmm. people outside don't, like people don't know what money is like people don't understand what these rates do and how it affects their pension funds how it affects everything that they're tangentially invested in like, I, I just remember hearing those stories on like npr and i was still in the quote-unquote the data world i didn't really have a lot of cash but i was thinking i was like this seems fundamentally like a bad thing right like yeah this is like uh you know this is discovering your election was rigged or this is discovering that you, the police are corrupt or this is like a, an institution that we all rely on is manipulating us this should be like the number one story i don't and maybe it was a big deal in the finance world i don't remember hearing about it a lot after that like it happened no matt taibbi probably wrote an article i don't even know what yeah exactly matt taibbi what were the consequences who went to jail what changed i don't even know you know because there's no accountability and like yes i'm an ignorant person but like i know about so many other less important things that have happened because i've been inundated with them in the news this was a thing that happened that then disappeared and Mm -hmm. it's just like oh man um, no, and lightning that's the beauty of lightning is it's a completely emergent the data is emergent from the activity on the network it's not me and drew are not going to collude to set a lightning network rate ever i guess not possible i don't think so i think some sec- i think there will be some aspects of that in the sense that like consider you may want to pay vastly more than quote unquote the market rate so that you can be guaranteed to not be tracked in various ways, right? Would you pay more if, oh, you, yes. if you had some sort of confidence that, like, your legal shit that you're about to do is not going to get tracked and forwarded onto authorities? Yeah, but you would pay more. You're the only one beholden to that rate, though, when it comes to, like, the Fed yeah. fund rate and LIBOR. Everybody's you're choosing to do that, but yes. I, I kind of view there as, like, there will emerge within the Lightning Network sub-networks of colluding operators that are trying to build criminal networks or trying to build mm-hmm. other sort of sub-networks <laughs> that, like, by design, like, you know, are not meant to be like part of the main part of the network. I think that's one of the cool things that like in a blockchain, by definition, you want to be part of the blockchain. Like mm-hmm. if you're doing your own thing over here, you've forked. Like you're you're not actually part of the blockchain anymore. Whereas in Lightning Networks or in general in layer two things, there's no requirement that you must be part of the main body of everyone else. In fact, there are definite advantages to running your own little side you know, layer two over here that like the normals are not part of. And you have and to get like a, a secret invitation or something like that. Hey, correct. You're right. And like, and, and that is collusion and that is, you know, mafiosos and like, and it'll exist. And the fact that it's possible is beautiful and it, you can't prevent it anyway. So don't try. Um, but man, it's interesting. Right. Yeah. How much is this going to change our world? This is where we get Cosmo. Like, let's drink some more. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. It feels, it's, it's something I honestly, it's on a personal philosophical level, struggle with greatly. Like, what are the odds that old Drew stumbled into some good shit like this? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> most of the stuff I've done has been pretty damn mediocre. I mean, I have a great life. Don't get me wrong. It's amazing. But like, that I would happen to pick like the world sound money and it would grow and then like the company I start grows. It's, it's such a fantastically awesome story that I almost don't want to believe it. Mm-hmm. Yet every year it seems to be coming true more and more that indeed this random thing that I got into years ago has grown yet again and like even more people are into it and it's, it's even bigger and I seem to have made the right call and it's extremely 
it's extremely difficult for me to fall into that and just believe it all the way and be like, oh, oh yeah, this is good. Like, I don't need to worry about anything. In 20 years, I'll be retired off my Bitcoins and whatever else. Like, it could be true. It could happen. It but, sounds too um, good to be true, though, right? I don't want to believe it. Right? I, I can't. It's, it's, a, it's absurd that that could be true. Um, yet here we are. Yet here we are. Yeah. And it's, I think it's so fascinating because of the gravity of money as a concept in particular. Like, the whole... Mm-hmm thought that oh my god we may be reinventing money for one of the few times that money's ever been reinvented throughout human history it's like to be born at that inflection point it's like what like, and have bought it right at the beginning right <laughs> like is is it's still the beginning like right we're not even a decade in right indeed and this is this is something i say like we are the first arbiters of this network that we i would hope uh envision being around for centuries to millennia right and you know, and I saw a good tweet today that I forgot, I'm for, totally going to reference it without crediting it because I forgot who said it, but it was like, you need those Bitcoin maximalists out there because they're what prevent the criticism that everyone would have leveled against cryptocurrencies of like, this shit is fake, you can just make more. They're the ones that prevent that from happening. Right. Because yeah, everyone, you, it's true, you can go make more. Well, that's but what a uh, group of people that's obsessively rapidly about like i don't care if you make more these are the ones that i want like and it, it is sort of arbitrary and it is sort of irrational but we have to break the symmetry somehow and i've chosen to break it like this and follow me that's that's you need someone like that right like that first follower and that most dedicated follower is i think too often underemphasized as what causes power to really coalesce yeah the um the philly fed uh the Federal Reserve Office in Philadelphia put out a paper on Bitcoin this week. Uh, shout out Paul Hobson for sending that to me. Um, and I read through it, and that was basically their article, is that mm-hmm. Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general never become valuable because you can fork them. And you basically, they they said you have hyperinflation of cryptocurrencies in general. But that's what they don't see, is the network effect around Bitcoin is so... Uh, this goes so much beyond code mm-hmm. and development. It's psychological. It's it's, yeah, it's, politi- it's political technology. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like nobody's making a podcast about Dogecoin talking like talking about it like that. Like those Doge. <laughs> Secretly, though, I feel like the best people are at those Doge meetups. Uh, man, they're tripping at. They're always meetups. they're like hiding there, and like you can discover them there. But um, this is actually yeah. I'm happy you brought that not Doge <laughs> up, but this conversation, this line of thinking, because you tweeted out the other day um, about a book. The once in the future king one of my favorites yeah and you were analogizing that to bitcoin and and maybe bitcoin has solved the problem that was in that book <sighs> yeah that's like a big drew personality book is like like i want to believe i'm a good man i want to believe that like with charged with a lot of power i would do good in the world you know like mm-hmm. i could be like a philosopher king like if i were to be picked i would be moral and just and i believe all those things about myself and i always have I always had a high opinion of myself i guess but growing up in I guess in high school is when you first start to learn about this kind of stuff, right? Or like mm-hmm. that they're like, what is the nature of government? What is good government? Like, what could it be? And I will agree. I will admit that for a while there, I was very much enamored of this philosopher king idea. Mm-hmm. That like, oh, you know, what the problem is with politics, man. Let's clap. Sixteen-year-old <laughs> rich kid in Long Island <laughs> saying these things while he, he drives the car's parents bought him to go to the diner. You know what the problem is, man. <laughs> Um, is that the wrong people are in charge. Man, if I were the one in charge, it would be so much better. And then reading that book was like a big eye-opener to me because it doesn't matter that you're a good man. It's irrelevant. Yeah, like so the fact that you centralize power it creates a target. It creates 
entity to be disrupted. Like enemies have a thing to to lock their tender hooks into to disrupt and break, um, and that that's why the Once and Future King is a tragedy. This person that was Arthur yeah, skipped over the entire plot. Yeah, I was gonna say let's summarize the book. It doesn't matter. Like Merlin, who's awesome because he lives backwards through time. Um, so he's like Benjamin he's Button. Benjamin he's Button. Benjamin Button or whatever is like. He tries to make a philosopher king, right? He's read all the philosophy. He's he's from the future. He knows about nuclear war and Hitler and all these horrible things. And he decides he's you know he's gonna make, I don't know, like Leibniz or like something, right? Like like this Voltairean like or Panglossian. That's really the best word. This Panglossian character of like a philosopher king that's just from youth inculcated with the right beliefs, the right way of thinking, like to be fair, to be just. Um, and the kingdom that, that Arthur, this this young man, creates when he grows up, and he knights the round, and this whole thing, and it's very fair, it's very just, and then what happens? It crumbles, right? It crumbles due to internal conflict. Arthur is set up. He's emotionally manipulated by people who are, are, are less principled than he, people who are willing to grasp power if it means behaving poorly. They don't care. Um, and because they know he's manipulable, because they know he's honest, they know that he cares, it gives them a surface area. It gives them an attack surface. That's what I was going to say. Right? Yeah. To take him out. Um, and reading this book, it left me so depressed because it was just like, so even if you were just the best dude and you given given the power and you meant so well, like everything can just turn to shit around you. Um, and I think by this point, it also become old enough to like had experiences where like things I worked really hard at that I cared about deeply that I thought were good broke because of indifference or apathy or mm-hmm. or jealousy or things that other people and i'm talking about dumb things that kids care about you know bands and clubs and, and friendships and, yeah. and things like this so i think I, it, it the whole experience left me feeling pretty cynical that don't build things humans are dumb you know uh, <laughs> just hang out with your friends and and don't let things get too big because once they get too big they'll get infiltrated by jerks and mm-hmm. just you know stay small and stay private and stay friendly right like that was Give up, i.e., give up. Like, don't actually, don't go to politics for God's sakes. Don't, don't try to be a leader. Don't try to change the world because you'll expose yourself as one man. And and the more successful you you are, the harder you will fall, mm-hmm. uh, almost. Right. Um, that's a depressing um, attitude. And it's a great, it's a great attitude for a person who wants to ignore the problems of the world and just focus on themselves, which is what I did for most of my twenties. Um, so it worked out for me. It was great. It was a great outcome. But what I've loved about Bitcoin is in thinking about that problem of how does one change the world for the better without propping up one person as a leader mm-hmm. or like one viewpoint as the correct one to follow and then exposing yourselves and creating that attack surface is don't have leaders. Like encode protocols, encode beliefs, encode movements that no one is in charge of. Historically, there have been so few of those. You know, like. And can you can you uh, expand on the few that have been around? I don't know that I could even name one. No. Like I think yeah. about like some of the more successful movements for justice that have happened in history, and there's always charismatic leaders. And I even think about like. Gandhi, which was always tried in my family as an example of someone like, oh, he's a real good guy, you know, great, great Indian guy. Why would Ben Kingsley have to play him in that movie? You know, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but Gandhi's controversial. Gandhi did a lot of great things, but he's also controversial. Like there's a lot of ways to attack Gandhi. There's an entire group of people who like hate him, who are Indian, who are like, oh, he screwed us over in all these various ways. There's conflict. There's, there's always that like putting someone on a pedestal and then bringing them back down again. There's mm-hmm. this conflict about them as a person, which is sort of irrelevant really at the end of the day to what they were trying to accomplish. It doesn't matter what Gandhi's sexual habits were if 
Gandhi was trying to do this. Same thing with MLK. Does it matter yeah. that MLK cheated on his wife? Like, listen to his words. Like, it exactly. almost doesn't, right? But but it does because he's a human, and and it'll affect your opinion of him. And every politician today that's running, it always matters what weird shit they did in college, right? Because oh well, the uh, Zero Hedge posted this stat the other day, like last last year, and I'm not trying to shit on the mainstream media, but I'm gonna do it transparently. Last year, MSNBC talked about. Uh, What's her name? Stormy Daniels. Right. 444 times. Didn't talk about like what's going on in Yemen once. Right. I saw that. Yeah. So like people are enamored. Like they're trying mm-hmm. to take down this one guy using these these flaws. And I'm, I'm not trying to say that Trump's an upstanding citizen. Right. <laughs> right? But yeah. like this is the people get attacked this way. And like maybe Kanye said it best. No one man should have all that power because maybe it, I mean. It's a it's a trope throughout all the the superhero books and comic books and mm-hmm. stories and legends of past like you Batman in particular like you you die a legend or live long enough right, to see yourself become exactly, a villain exactly exactly and I think I think one of the ways out of that is to never have that one person or entity and that's mm-hmm. like it's it's I'm so I can't think of things that really worked that way I'm not a big student of history by any means but it feels like just by the nature of the way humans work like we need leaders we need like direction we need hierarchy we need communication like things like blockchains are so radical because they deny a lot of that like Satoshi left right like whoever they were they left and just straight up left just like didn't give up, up people left. a warning he said i'm working on other things and then yeah, i'm working on what other things what else you got going on what's bigger than this for you you know it's like uh i'm getting into gardening like that's not good enough satoshi come on um but uh but it is remarkable like whoever they were they created this thing that no one is in charge of anymore like people have tried to become in charge of it and they've been unable to mm-hmm. um, and yet it's growing and it has a certain set of rules and those rules are verifiable and we can assert and verify that we're all playing by the rules and, and so we all hold each other in check cause... a little bit we do because the power has been split up really remarkably cleverly between miners and users and developers and, and, and we've literally fought we've had the fights and no one's won yet like it, Except for arguably users, which is like a good—that's a good team to win. That's who you want. To that's win, who you want right? to win at the yeah. end of the day. You don't want developers or miners to be in charge. Yeah, so I think I think if Segwit Two X was successful last year, I think I would have left Bitcoin. I, think I feel bad that I didn't do more. I just sat there reading on Twitter, like I hope this shit does not go down. Like I don't know what to do. Like that was a weird year for me because, like, I mean, whatever. I I bought some ETH. I bought a few other weird things, but like, I really, I was like, I just Bitcoin's the thing I actually care about. Like, I feel like. <laughs> All these other things are opportunities for me to make money. At this point, I've like emotionally invested myself in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I really want this project to succeed. Um, I don't, not even just Bitcoin. I want a proof of work based finite money supply coin with conservative development culture that's not Turing complete. That's what I want to <laughs> succeed. So that is Bitcoin right now. So I want, therefore, I want Bitcoin to succeed. I, I hate getting labeled with like maximalist and like whatever else like i'm not at anything maximalist but like but those four things i want those four things and right now bitcoin is that so i agree with you it's remarkable to me that like in contrast to the once in future king like maybe maybe like and i love the title of that book too right because it's, it's the yeah. once he was king arthur was once the king his whole thing collapsed because even though he was a good man he was one man and he built camelot around him and by taking him out you took out Cam- you took out camelot 
but he's the future king too, right? And at the time, I was always like, well, one day someone will figure out how to really put a really good person in charge of the world and like everything will be fine. And that's naive thinking. That's, that's hierarchical thinking. That's authoritarian mm-hmm. thinking. Um, and now I'm just like, well, the future version of that was we deny the kinghood, right? We deny that the idea of there being a king. And that's been so difficult. Look, every ICO has suffers fundamentally from this problem. Every altcoin ICO has a king. It has someone that fundamentally has benefited from launching the project mm-hmm. and is a significant holder of the resources of the project and wields significant influence. Um, and they're building Camelot around them. Mm-hmm. And I've already read the book. I know what happens. It's tragedy, <laughs> right? Some dumb shit Vitalik will do will cause Ethereum to fail. Like, right. um, I have so much respect for Vitalik too, but like, I, I see it. I see like you're so closely coupled. Like every time there's a Vitalik death scare, yeah, this Ethereum time last year, I think drops like a few percentage. Like that shouldn't yeah. be happening. There's no person in Bitcoin who, whose death means anything no. at this point. And um, <coughs> excuse me. It's, that's why, like, I, I don't think there is a true competitor to Bitcoin. I think the Immaculate Conception and Satoshi leaving. Extremely hard to replicate. Right? Yeah. Extremely um, hard to replicate. It, I think it might be impossible. Like, that's what I think, that's what I think uh, we're going to come to find as the first generation arbiters of these blockchains, of this blockchain in particular, is that, mm-hmm. like, people are going to try and replicate it it's just going to be impossible like you this cannot- is a struggle with this too like because like, there's a little bit this concept of but but why did it go that way mm-hmm. right like if it was arbitrary but why like mm-hmm. you always want there to be a why especially especially as scientists we always want there to be a, like a deep why that couldn't have been any other way but this way yeah. but one of the things we i think we're coming to accept even as scientists is that the world has hysteresis it has path dependence mm-hmm. it has well it could have been other ways but that it became this way now it is this way we are stuck with this way basically forever and this applies in things like evolution like you know why are we fundamentally two-limbed and not i don't know four-limbed like the mm-hmm. avatar creatures or whatever or why is our cellular metabolism use these these chirality molecules as compared to literally the identical molecules just shaped the other way like well it's just hysteresis it's how we are why do we pick bitcoin and not litecoin because it would have worked just as well frankly i, I really feel right well because it came later and we'd already picked this and the symmetry was already broken and uh, not everything needs an explanation, I guess, except for the fact that it happened to be there and it happened to be first and it didn't cannibalize itself, which tr- truthfully has been my big, like, for all my bullishness around Bitcoin, why didn't I take all my dollars and turn them into Bitcoins way, way long ago? Because I should have, because it would have been a great decision, but I didn't. I, I partly, I was just a pussy, but <laughs> a big part of it is also you, because you don't know, like, you don't know that the symmetry's really been broken. Like, is, mm-hmm. is, is this, is Bitcoin Friendster or is it Facebook, right? Like, like whatever, right. you don't really know. But kind of like the Lindy effect, right? The longer it goes on being the thing, like the more you sort of have to admit to yourself that like, mm, this is probably going to be it. Like yeah. it's imperfect, but it doesn't matter. It's too big already. No one's in charge. And that immaculate conception is so hard to re-engineer. Um, probably impossible. Uh-huh. Do you think they will talk of Satoshi the way they, like let's say King George once talked of George Washington? Like, I think the greatest ruler on earth because I think he they'll talk about power. Satoshi like Jesus. I swear to God, <laughs> the religion. Of, <laughs> like there's, oh, yeah, the gospel of Satoshi. the Genesis block. Like Dude, it's so the fact funny. that he I like know. put a message in it disappeared. Like immaculate conception. Like it's it has weird. so many religious undertones that like, I found some good like weird internet copy pasta about how Satoshi is like a time traveler, <laughs> right? And like eventually trying he's gonna, to slow down, he's pop computer. out in the future of the day we mine the twenty-one millionth Bitcoin, and like <laughs> I don't know, he'll be like 
a multi-trillionaire, and, <laughs> I don't know, and then he'll become a philosopher king, of course, right, and change the world for the better. Well, the, the other uh, Satoshi is a future uh, time traveler theory is that he's trying to slow down the propagation of quantum computing by making it so everybody's forced to buy GPUs uh, and use that on Bitcoin mining instead of... Instead what of, a remarkably good science fiction story that right? would turn into, right? right? Um, wow. I need to create an economic incentive to prevent this technology from showing up. That's right? like, that's good stuff. No, but um, it's, it's crazy to see how far it's gotten and and where we are now so like what I, where we are like we're in a new bear market probably fourth or fifth mm. fourth or fifth mm -hmm. like parabolic move and then mm -hmm. down we're at a trough but you're seeing it time and time again like a lot of people like the pre-mine altcoins that were in 2013 2014 i would argue are the icos of today right and back then and now today you're seeing like people coming to the light if you will like all right maybe bitcoin is the only one so that lindy effect gets stronger and then the network effect around it and the hodler base gets stronger as well uh and it seems in i don't want to say inevitable but i think two or three more two to three more of these cycles as hash rate rises and you get more mm -hmm. more believers i think it might be inevitable within like the next so at the same time like we're entering i think new new regimes of what we compete against as as bitcoiners like i think during the first few years let's say 2009 to 2011 2013 almost mm -hmm. you're really your only competition is the is ignorance like you have to explain what even is this thing like why would you want it like etc um but at some point it turns into you compete within your category so it's like altcoins are a thing now ethereum and then icos are a thing and then there's like oh ethereum's gonna flip bitcoin and like that becomes the discussion right like what bitcoin is competing against is other cryptocurrencies mm -hmm. but i feel like that phase to your point eventually ends and then what happens next it's exactly. not it's not a smooth run all the way to the summit for bitcoin at that point it is it is a grinding battle against everything else that is out there. I feel, honestly, Bitcoin's about almost 10 years old. God, there's going to be so many puff pieces that come out next year about Bitcoin being 10 years old. <laughs> I just realized that. I'm not going to read any of them. Um, but Bitcoin's about to be 10 years old. This first 10 years has been like JV sports, you know, or like mm -hmm. featherweight boxing. It's like, who are you really fighting against? Like, who's, who's, what powerful person's power are you diminishing Bitcoin so far? No one. It's the nerds fighting against it's, each it's, other. It's, it's meaningless, right? Yeah. It's a hundred billion, two hundred billion dollar market cap. It's tiny compared to the things in the world. But like, say we stop fighting with other cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin becomes the cryptocurrency that matters. It's going after sound money. It's trying to become a global reserve. Over the next 10 years, like the fights are way more real. Yeah. We're, we're, we would be displacing individuals and entities and groups that have real power yeah and the ability to defend that power and i don't view um i don't view that as meme-based warfare really no. anymore like that's that starts to get pretty real it starts um, to get physical and talked about this with john last night but we saw i believe last month i think it's four four to six weeks ago a uh, natural disaster take out a mining farm in china and mm -hmm. materially affects hash rate like imagine if nation states started showing up and unplugging or god forbid bombing mining facilities like one of the cool things i heard about um from a friend of mine um brian from factum and mm -hmm. austin we were talking a little bit about this and he was talking about how 
you know, attacking another nation's hash power is a totally reasonable thing to do in a time of war. That like it's it's privateers taking out merchant marines like on the open seas. It's the same thing. Oh You're attacking their means of production. Yeah. Right. Um, and I've sort of started to get to the point now where I've I believe um, that the the whole proof of work is wasteful thing is, is it, I think it's foolish. Like I think yeah. yes, proof of work is it, it is using energy. It's not wasting energy. It's using yeah. it. There's a certain optimal ratio of the world's energy we would use to secure the money supply, and I think it's a relatively large ratio. Today we spend 0.001, like so tenth of a percent of the world's energy on securing the money supply, mm-hmm. securing a subset of the population's money supply via proof of work. I feel like the real number there is like one to ten percent. Yeah. So like there's a room for a ten to hundred to a thousand X growth in Bitcoin before we before it tops out. Mm-hmm. Like obviously Bitcoin can never use or proof of work can never use hundred percent of Earth's energy. That's foolish. We have to. We've got to build, and, and we got to do stuff. True. Yeah. You have it in your uh, bio that you want to go to space. Have you ever heard of Dyson spheres? All right. We might move it, to Dyson spheres. We okay? may. And <laughs> I, I, gave, I gave a talk on this where I was like, if you think Bitcoin's energy usage today is bad, just wait, wait <laughs> until humans have spread through our local neighborhood of the galaxy, and we are straight up using thirty percent of a sun to hash. Mm-hmm. Because why not? Um, it's not like energy is really a thing to be reserved. It's not. It's almost infinite. It's out there everywhere. The shitty part is it's just dirty getting energy. There. Dirty energy yeah. sucks. And right now, all we have is dirty energy. Well, so when we burn it, yeah, it's bad. I it's get bad, it. But then Bitcoin's incentivizing people to find cleaner energies, and that's it's, what that's yeah. what people don't realize. Like, it's incentivizing people to find cheaper and cheaper. more efficient energy. And what they're finding is some of the cleanest energy is also the cheapest. Yeah, which is partly political, and that's fair. Like mm-hmm. we should reward and make cheaper energy, which is more sustainable. Like totally makes sense to me. But at the same time, this is incredibly healthy to me. Like I view this as this is such a smart move that humans have collectively made is we know we've always been fundamentally limited by energy. Like energy is the currency of the universe and we're just coupling our actual currency to that right. very directly. And it's, it's so smart. Like I, it, it prevents our ability to um, think our way out of the physical constraints that we're actually always under, we're yeah. always under those constraints. And this might be like a, a dumb correlation to it but like i honestly think like, not dumb correlation but like uh rationalization like i think you need the proof of work like bitcoin is worth something because people had to work for it like people yeah. had to expend energy like, and energy is the only thing that we can turn into digital representations without loss right? there's no other thing like that no. that we know of and the only reason we know how to do that is because of proof of work and and it's just a matter of time before people recognize that novelty like the percentage of people that recognize that novelty is so minuscule right now uh, that's why I think if you you have any amount of Bitcoin, you are above and beyond, and you hold it for the next ten to twenty years, you're 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 going to be well off to an extent, or better off, I should say, better off than most. Um, if you can hodl it, if you can hodl it, yeah. it's it's a mental battle. It is. It, it is. is. I don't know how you do yours, but I do mine. It it helps that I don't have at the end of the day that much Bitcoin. I have mm-hmm. way more than I ever thought I would have. But when I bought my Bitcoin to begin with, I said, this money is gone. If you lose Mm -hmm. it, it's okay. You don't have to feel bad about it. Don't beat yourself up that you lost this cash. But the flip side is if it grows, you don't have it. Pretend it's not there. And it's been a great way to just 
be calm. Like, because yeah. Bitcoin's fucking volatile. It, it hurts to feel like I just lost $100,000 today. That's a painful feeling to feel. But if you're like, well, I never really had that money in the first place because I was never going to spend it because it's not really real because, like, I told myself, like, this is a 15-year experiment and I'm exactly. just going to run it. And I've got other things going on day to day. Like, it's such a healthier for your psychology way to feel like that's and also my personality though. i'm not an active trader i'm not like a buy in and out of positions kind of guy i'm, I'm not like, that way either and i like you know <laughs> and that's like i was lucky to get uh, i'm not going to disclose that but to a point where you get to a point where it's like all right like it, that same same mentality like i got yeah my quote-unquote war chest like mm-hmm. if i can hold on to it all the better off but Truly, honestly, like, do not invest more than you can afford to lose. Like, I think it would make you crazy. Yeah, yeah. It like, would, I said, it would, I, like, I sleep, I sleep fine at night. Yeah, like, my girlfriend and that. I have talked about it. We're like, what if you took all that money you made when you sold your company and you bought Bitcoin with all of it? I would have been like, that would have been so cool. <laughs> right? Like, I for sure would have freaked out at some point. Yeah, it would have been like, oh, it keeps going down. All my money's going to be gone. You fool! You had one win. You burned your whole win on these stupid <laughs> magic beans from the internet. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, I, I don't know that I'm confident enough to have withstood all that internal self berating for all those years. And it's not healthy. It's not. Yeah. And again, this is like the theme of this podcast. Like if you do treat it as like an investment or you dollar cost average in where you're like, Hey, every paycheck I'm going to throw 50 bucks. Like if it becomes what we think it will become, like Mm -hmm. you will be better off even if you're just throwing that little amount of money in and, and you'll be able to sleep fine. Like skip a night of drinking and buy some Bitcoin (laughs) with what you would have spent on the bourbon yeah um no nah, but it's that's another thing i like to talk about is like it bitcoin is changing us more than we're going to change it like it's changing our tendencies i mean Seif talks about that a lot right in his yeah. book or i haven't read it yet i'm actually about to go on a beach vacation i've got it with me i'm gonna like <laughs> totally just like advertise it's an easy cabana, bin. <laughs> got the bitcoin book like, <laughs> who's this guy um you're gonna get a, you're gonna get a lot, of, a lot of likes on that i think so but like it but exactly that that is I think that is what it does. Like it forces us to consider the things we buy a little bit more carefully, because um, we'd be giving up our Bitcoin position. It's like that Warren Buffett line about like how do you live in the same shitty house that you've lived in for forty years and have the same old car? And he's like, well, you know, a new car would cost me twenty thousand dollars, but really, if you think about the net present value of that money, like thirty years from now, that's a that's a million dollar car. I'm not in a position to buy a million dollar car today. Right? And you're like that's a weird way to think about buying things. Like you are. You're not thinking about consumption the way that I think about consumption, mm-hmm. um, but you're also that's how you became so wealthy, and that's exactly. the reason I can never keep money I have is because like, <laughs> I will always buy things with it because I'm a consumer. Um, and yet I've avoided that with my Bitcoin. I don't sell my Bitcoins. I don't either. And I think I buy a lot of dumb shit, but I don't sell my Bitcoins for it. Uh, no, and you also it helps you find like. Uh, pleasure in the simple things you know like just going to the beach and hanging out like not having like yeah. i don't go to the clubs i don't go out that that hard on the weekends like i'm in my mid-20s i could Bitcoin's good for old guys yeah, it's, good. <laughs> right? it's good i'm yeah. not old Drew. all right i'm still in my mid-20s but i do find myself like not going as hard as some people my age mm-hmm. you know and just like eh, it's not worth it to me i'd rather read and maybe buy more bitcoin you know Actually, that was pretentious. I wouldn't. I don't read. I probably stay and smoke pot and watch and Netflix. And watch Netflix. <laughs> Buy a little Bitcoin. By the way, this is something like a secret thing that I've been working on. 
um, with my girlfriend. She's a writer, and I've got her convinced. Like we talked about brainwashing people that we love mm-hmm. into into loving Bitcoin as well. So I don't know that I've brainwashed her. She's very stubborn. She's very hard to brainwash. Very smart. That's good. But I've tried, and I recently got her to want to write about Bitcoin, like and try to make. I think, I think what would help Bitcoin a lot is an incredibly good television show. That like there's so you've interviewed some of them. There's so many good characters in our crazy world. Like John McAfee. Come on, dude. <laughs> what like there's he's literally he's he's a character from Silicon Valley. Like it's oh. amazing. Um, there's so many more, and the story of what is happening here is so compelling. And it's the kind of thing that I think if you gave normals a window into it, um, you'd help them appreciate what's happening. You'd help them appreciate you know the asset class itself but there's like a smart way to do it and i kind of feel like that's one of the things that bitcoin people are the worst at is because so many uh, of us are nerds mm-hmm. like self-satisfied yeah. um wealthy um otherwise successful um uh dismissive of of uh wanting to go out there and plead your case because we're the kind of folks that think a lot of times that feel look the evidence should speak for itself like yeah, it's like satoshi's data. quote like if if you don't understand it, I don't have time to, to help you catch up. A little bit, yeah. yeah. But I, I wonder, on some level, we were like, maybe what we've unleashed is such a behemoth and it's so inevitable that it doesn't matter. We can be arrogant and not explain ourselves and it'll just happen anyway. But I doubt it. I don't, that's like, so I take the opposite. Like, so yeah. that's why I do the newsletter. That's why I do this right. podcast. Yeah. Like to expend, extend the olive branch, be like, all right, like more people want to learn about this. Let's break it down. Like, this is important. You should be thinking about this. And then, those are vital functions. I mean, I feel like my own business in in allowing Bitcoin and Ethereum and other cryptocurrency holders to to get liquidity without having to sell their tokens, it allows me to preserve hodlers. Mm-hmm. Like, if you were in danger of losing your position because you had a life expense, like I can help you. And that feels holy on some level. Like I, I've seen what our customers are doing, and I've seen that I've helped people like preserve their Bitcoin wealth, and that's awesome. Let's go into the mechanics of Unchain. Like, so how does this work? Yeah. Uh, the loans. Yeah. Well, okay, right. So go, going back to what we're saying, like one thing I've heard over and over again is oh, I had all this Bitcoin, but then I sold it for this. I sold it for that. I, like, cause life gets in the way, man. Like I hear, I feel it as well. Like whenever my Bitcoin pumps in value, I suddenly look at how much it was and like, oh man, I could buy that with this. Mm-hmm. If I were to cash out right now, like I would have that thing that I've been wanting. Right. And I think I love how Saif talks about long time preference and all these things. Cause like I've learned to not have that conversation with myself that thing that i want doesn't matter mm-hmm. like i don't need that thing and so it's been or i can sell stock to buy that thing that's a better way to do it <laughs> buy that thing. so like i get that but it feels like too many people like don't have the luxury of having wealth outside of their bitcoin they they're pressed for it like they really need to do this um and so they do and so they sell it and then the price goes up by 10x and what might have been a life-changing amount of wealth for them is now this regret Mm-hmm. they hold on to uh, and it can turn a man bitter and in general one of the best parts of wealth is the ability to preserve wealth and to create it again mm-hmm. and one of the core aspects of that is leverage and so at the end of the day like i've really enjoyed being able to offer bitcoin holders like some degree of self-management some degree of uh, degrees of freedom around how they choose to manage their funds it's not just buy and sell and hold anymore like you can borrow Mm -hmm. um and there's firms like mine there are other competitors uh there are other behaviors you can buy um derivatives contracts now that help you the ecosystem is so much richer in 2018 than it was in 2013 or 2011 um 
And so I'm really happy to be part of this. It feels like it feels like something like this had to happen that I'm doing it makes me happy because I see that I'm fixing problems for people. Mm -hmm. There's so many companies in our space right now that don't actually do anything. They don't really have a product. They're they're not solving a pain point. They may have a product, but they're not solving a pain point. They're their customers are speculative investors at best, not mm -hmm. really customers who are paying to alleviate pain. Whereas I feel like the niche of, I've got Bitcoin, I have expenses, I would like to pay for the expenses without selling the Bitcoin, that's such a pain point that's clear that our business does very well. And so our customers are really happy, um, we're solving a real problem for them, and as we were talking about in terms of endurance and surviving, this is the business that survives, it feels to me, because our customers love us and we have real revenues and I don't need the price to be up in order to be doing well. I just need my customers to keep borrowing and keep paying their interest payments and they're doing it. Yeah. Um, so um, how does it work with Unchained? It's I've really tried to build the kind of product that I would use, right? Like if mm -hmm. you need liquidity, you come to us, we talk to you, we have human beings. Like you can call our phone number, we'll, like we'll chat, like we'll make you feel comfortable. Um, we do all the normal things around KYC, AML. We've got to get your social, we've got to get your identity. Having collected that, we'll give you some terms. You deposit your tokens, and it can be Ethereum or Bitcoin, those are the two currencies we work with. You put them into a dedicated address. Those addresses are on the blockchain. We don't like commingle things. You know, mm -hmm. just it's not like Coinbase or an exchange where you're just shooting it in, into like some account and you don't know what happens. Like you see it, it's on the blockchain. You get a dedicated address for your Bitcoin, for your loan. You can look at it. You can put a watch on it using any block explorer tool you care to use. Um, and it sits there and it's collateral. Mm -hmm. And the, the really the remarkable thing that we do that's new in the financial world is we just say, hey, Bitcoin is good collateral. Like it's kind of obvious to me. Like it is worth something. Right. You can clear it really quickly. You can program in your rights to access it. It's digital. You don't have to worry about the weather. It's not like a home equity line of credit. Like it's it's so perfect as a form of collateral. Yet, so few people understand it. Like I had this issue when I signed yeah. the lease for my latest apartment. Like I wanted to use my Bitcoin as collateral, and they like completely couldn't understand the concept. And I was just like, it's there. It's yeah. It's liquid within 20 minutes. Like if I just move it from my wallet to an right. exchange, like it is liquid. And so if there were anything, like our business is on some level, like one of the, it's like the oldest business in the world. It's money lending, right? <laughs> right. Like, um, and it's so well regulated and it's so simple. But at the end of the day, the radical thing that we do is we say, let's just believe in Bitcoin. Let's just say that it's a real thing and treat it like real wealth. And that opens so many doors because that's the first step. Like we're not called unchained lending, we're called unchained capital. Mm -hmm. Lending for us is a first product category. We're doing really well. We've given more than $10 million in loans. We have more than 50 customers. We're solving problems for people in a variety of states and increasingly internationally. Like it's growing, it's really great. It's a good product. But um, beyond that, there's so much more that we've realized through this product that people need. They need fixed income. Like they need a way to earn a return from holding their crypto assets. They need protection. Mm -hmm. They need recovery things. Like when you die, like how do you get your Bitcoin to your mom, to your daughter, to your wife, to your loved ones, right? Like um, how do you protect yourself against un illegal seizure? It feels like custody and liquidity and protection and advice, these are all things that are connected. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense because if you think about being a quote unquote normal rich person, you have family office you have family offices you have 
um, high net worth, like sort of, you have um, private wealth management, you have mm-hmm. these sorts of functions which are designed for, look, I know that like, there's checking accounts and like there's there's just there's the normal mass of people in the world who like are living paycheck to paycheck but then there's this special group of people who for god bless them are incredibly wealthy and they have unique circumstances mm-hmm. and so truthfully i wish that my company were like on some level totally democratic and working with every single possible crypto user in the world but it's too early that's not where we're at we are working with those people who have a large amount of bitcoin or ether who have a strong pain point around not being able to be lent to against it like you mentioned yeah. can i i would have loved to buy a house using my bitcoin as collateral very few people are frankly in the position to buy a house mm-hmm. using bitcoin as collateral right yeah. like you're you're lucky for being in that group um but now that you're in that group you probably recognize i don't have a lot of options this is screwed up like if i was sitting on the equivalent amount of apple stock like i would have no shortage of people who are willing to like extend me leverage or loan or liquidity based on this wealth that I hold but suddenly you, it's Bitcoin and it's like it doesn't even exist right mm-hmm. like or it's almost worse right it's like you just said Bitcoin I have to I have to mark this down <laughs> now like, that's so true you know what I mean it's like almost literally like worse than not having any Bitcoin um, and so for all those reasons I've really liked um, starting a business like this because it's we're solving real problems for people uh, we give loans very quickly. Like our, in particular, what I'm really excited about is our custodial solution. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the lending space. I mean, it's one that we've been targeting for a long time. We've been operating. We've been giving loans since June 2016, which makes us, I think, one of the earliest crypto lenders in existence, which is awesome. But a lot of the folks we compete against, um, a lot of the other crypto lenders that are out there, they really approach lending like it's their only reason to exist that mm-hmm. they don't think about custody they don't worry about the other kinds of products you're going to need they don't recognize that as a high net worth crypto holder you have all these other needs um, they treat you a little bit like an anonymous just source of bitcoin like you just mm-hmm. show up it's online we'll get it done in two minutes throw us the coins we're going to throw them in a single sig you know you have no idea where these coins are actually living anymore and you will get some money and it'll all work out and i think that's I appreciate that. I get that. I get why that's a good idea. If you want to have millions of customers who are shooting you crypto to give you loans, it's a great way to build a business. But it's not what we do. Like mm-hmm. we are, we're very automated, but we're very human driven. At the end of the day, that we really need humans to make decisions. We don't like automating the. There's no way in our platform for Bitcoin to automatically move from anywhere because it's not possible. It's all on hardware wallets. Human beings have to get together. They have to reason with each other. They have to agree that really, yes, we should move these coins. Everything is sharded and isolated by customer, by loan. Um, we've really tried to make it as safe as possible mm-hmm. for people who have like a lot of Bitcoin who care about this level of custody. Um, mm. It's great to see, like we t- like what we touched on earlier, like why pigeonhole yourself into one function? Like there, this is the mm-hmm. wild west. There's so many facets through which you can engage customers. If you have a full suite of product offerings, like it's, it's so yeah. raw, right? Now. It's something I thought about when we first started building the company, and we were like, "Look, our mission is we want to create liquidity. We don't want to become a wallet. We don't want to have to do custody." And what I realized was I just couldn't offer this product and feel good about myself. Because what were my options? I'll take your Bitcoin. I'll throw it on Coinbase. I don't feel good about that. No. Nor should you. No. Like, like, should I use BitGo? So, like, they'll have hot keys, and I'll have hot keys, and everything boils down to API access and how well I guarded like the control of my API tokens. Like, that doesn't feel good doesn't to me work. either. I want human beings. I want like 
to be robbed, real humans have to be like in the mix. Like mm-hmm. there's no algorithm, there's no bit of code that can be injected somewhere into the infrastructure and suddenly Bitcoins are gone. Like look, the Bitfinex hack for me was such a lesson. Right. Like these motherfuckers 116,000? Over the course of hours. It took hours. Someone targeted a weekend when they were at like some corporate event so like mm-hmm. they wouldn't be responding. But like so Somebody got their YubiK or something, right? Dude, so like, many right? things. If you think about that, so many things had to fail. Like you had to, you were alerting that you're being robbed, had to be ignored or not exist. Um, someone had to get in and compromise your access to BitGo. Mm-hmm. Like you had to have nothing in place to prevent repeatedly requests to just move your entire portfolio out of like, that's an insane way to build a system for long-term protection. And I get it if you're an exchange and you have these needs to be able to quickly move, move capital stuff, in yeah. minutes or seconds. Like I get it. You need to be hot. My business doesn't need to be hot. Mm-hmm. I have no desire to be hot. You don't need to move in minutes in my business. You want safety. And what I looked at, I was looking for, is there a BitGo that's cold? Is there? Can I build cold wallet-based, like hardware wallet-backed, like multiple person, like super safe, nuclear keys kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Like, is there a product like that? And there's no product like that. So I had to go build that product. And I'm really happy about it because I feel so much more confident in my ability to deliver like quality custodial experience around the loan product which is already live and Mm -hmm. has a bunch of customers i feel so safe about that product because i had to go engineer this and it's been great because now i can go turn around and i can say this thing that i've built which is a multi-person cold wallet hardware wallet back custodial model is now itself a product and i'm really excited about that because i'm a hardware wallet user i'm a treasure diehard but it kills me that sometimes i'm like so you could come into my house or my place of work and if you were lucky and I had my treasure on me and you were violent and mm-hmm. and I am not brave, like, <laughs> I'll give you whatever you want, you know, like, it's a weird model. Like, no one, right? I don't worry about my brokerage account. I'm like, God, what if someone comes in here and demands all the money in my brokerage account? It's like, they won't. That's not how it works. They know that they can't go to your house or place of work and attack you as a person and get mm-hmm. your brokerage assets. That's not possible. But it is possible with crypto. And and it's happened. Like we've seen mm-hmm. it online on Twitter. Like a lot of the people that we're you and I are connected to are like experiencing this rather scary physical violation of their safety and their personal space because people believe that they can get at these digital tokens. And by the way, I don't accept this honeypot thing that treasures and ledgers do i think it's very cute that you can be like oh i'm being attacked let me put in my fake pin and oh i only have two hundred dollars yeah like uh, you're like you're the founder of this cryptocurrency exchange <laughs> idiot like <don't, laughs> shut up you don't have two hundred dollars of bitcoin i know you're lying i know it's a honeypot it's like, that's that's a cute protection it's not a real protection the real protection is choosing who to trust mm-hmm. and i think that's the remarkable thing about crypto is like it gives us the ability to be self-sovereign, but at the same time, it allows us to choose who we would like to collaborate with. And wow, that was powerful. I think, and I think that's truly uh, important. So, like, what gets talked a lot in Bitcoin and crypto circles is webs of trust. So that's like you find people is it? trying to develop webs of trust where they can set a multi-sig situation where it? it's like, hey, 
shit ever hits the fan like I, can i depend on you and, and multi-sig is stupidly hard man like, yeah. like for a variety of reasons some of which are reasonable other which are just historical it's hard and so part of what my company does is as we invest in our own internal multi-sig solutions we want we open source them mm-hmm. we've not open sourced our bitcoin solution yet partly because it's, it's p to sh and everyone can do p to sh works going to but it's not happened yet but we have already open sourced our ethereum solution so we are about 10 percent of our loan book is in is in ether We've had to develop our own smart contract to be able to custody that ether effectively. That smart contract has run through a massive. Um, what was the process of auditing that like? We had it professionally audited. We used a firm called Hosho. They did a great job. It was actually the first contract they've ever audited that had zero problems. Boss. And part of that is yes, we're awesome. But another part of that is we designed our contract to be so dumb. Like <laughs> yeah. it's not a smart contract. It's a dumb contract. It's like, <laughs> it's like your one job contract is keep the funds safe. Like something I noticed when I was looking for an Ethereum smart contract, that would be a multi, essentially a multi-sig um, protection of funds in Ethereum, like, like a vault, right? Mm-hmm. Like I saw BitGo's, I saw a bunch of other ones and I'm always just like, this is too complicated. Like, like they have functionality that's like change the owner of this. Why do you want that? Why do you need to change the owner of this contract? Like by even allowing that functionality, you've created all these weird holes. If we all recall, how did the parity hacks occur? They occur via methods in the constructor that weren't sufficiently well thought about or tested that allowed changing of ownership or changing of the rights of various mm-hmm. owners. Don't do that. That's not a thing that you want. <laughs> like it's an ant. That's not a feature. That's an anti-feature. Like that's a bug. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we designed a super simple Ethereum contract. We had it audited by Hosho. It passed with flying colors. We've been running a bug bounty for about six months. That's a hundred and fifty thousand dollar bug bounty. Oh we, damn! No one has ever contributed an actual bug because at the end of this contract has almost no code. Right? It's one <laughs> of the simplest contracts you could find, and it works incredibly well for multi-sig access to Ether. But what we did along side of releasing the smart contract which is totally open source we're the only lender by the way that actually open sources and audits their shit everyone else does not um alongside doing that we released a dap mm-hmm. right so right now you can go to you can go to ethereum-multisig.onchaincapital.com you can read our blog post there's links to it you can just use it you don't have to work with us you don't trust us in any way other than our code like you can pick a web of trust, you can plug in your hardware wallets, you can build a multi-sig Ethereum contract, you can keep your shit safe. And that's incredible. And and I'm we're about to release the same thing for Bitcoin. And like part of it is this is just a good thing to do. This is just a healthy thing to do. Like right? I want this, I want to use this, I want to work with my dad and my family, and like I want us to collectively protect each other's assets because mm-hmm. we trust each other. Um, I want to make that easy for companies to do with their customers. And in particular, yes, I want to sell that as a service. If you would like us to be part of your web of trust and be key holders, we'll protect you. We've already got a whole scheme worked out. There'll be more details landing next month. There'll be a whole press release, etc. But like the root, the root idea here is everyone presents cryptocurrency like it's adversarial, and it is. Mm-hmm. It's extremely adversarial. Like it's what gives it so much strength. But there's a flip side, and it's cooperative. Yeah, and too often that's ignored like, cooperative in the fact that like hey like i have your back you're my boy like we're we're gonna not, not only that but like think about how we've all learned we learn from mm-hmm. we've learned from guys like marty we learn from listening to podcasts hey this is a great show listen to this this is a great article this is a great guy like read his stuff like we've all learned from cooperating and like crowdsourcing the best information mm-hmm. my friend tushar like from multicoin in austin has such a great line about this where it's like the process of understanding Bitcoin and blockchains 
is like a blockchain. And this is, we all check out the same Genesis block, the same core ideas, and then we proceed with the same inductive reasoning. And for a while, it's the exact same. Like every person who's doing that, okay, private keys, cryptography, like proof of work, okay, I get it. And then it's we have to replicate each other's reasoning. Mm-hmm. Like it's not about believing what you said. It's about taking your fundamental axioms and hypotheses and then myself running, quote unquote, the algorithm to reason and arrive at the same conclusions you have and in general it's a process that creates consensus because we all agree that certain things like strong cryptography um you know uh, good consensus algorithms and so on are valuable but it can also be contentious that we can fork that Mm -hmm. reasonable people can disagree in their reasoning about what makes blockchains or currencies valuable and we can have a healthy heterogeneity of options but i love that idea that no one is just accepting everyone is on some level recapitulating their reasoning right Yeah. It's such a cool idea. Um, and I think similarly, when we talk about you know custody, everyone's recapitulating a process on how to be safer, right? Like when you start with a little bit of Bitcoin, it doesn't matter, use an exchange. The first Bitcoin I ever bought was on Coinbase. That shit stayed on Coinbase for a long, long time. I didn't know how to do better than that. As it should probably, it's a learning experience. It's a, right? It is a learning experience, like, but that's the cooperative aspect. We learn from each other and to pretend that we don't, to pretend that crypto is 100% adversarial and we're all out to screw each other is false. We've mm-hmm. designed for that universe because that gives us strength, but truthfully, it's incredibly cooperative. We spend so much of our time and energy learning from each other. It's natural that we should extend that into picking subsets of people we truly trust and endowing them with the power to help administer our own funds. And this, uh, this reminds me of my favorite sports analogy to make in this uh <laughs> in this uh, arena in particular, so I play lacrosse, and one of the tropes that uh, my high school lacrosse coach used to, not physically, but mentally beat into us like every practice, is you're only as strong as your weakest link. Sure. So I feel like everybody is trying to make, I mean, it's funny that it's block, we're talking about blockchains and like uh, a link in a chain, but everybody is out there trying to make every... Uh, link in the chain that we have as strong as possible because at the end of the day if there is a weak link like it is going to be exploited so it is in our best interest to to bootstrap everybody's uh mental capacity to know what's going on in this space and get everybody up to speed because it'll make the network stronger at the end of the day it's something that like you know another analogy for that is like physical security i think as city dwellers we sometimes we sometimes miss out on this because we're so centralized, right? Mm-hmm. So much of our security is 911 and the idea of the centralized police forces and the various other like government organizations that we don't have to collaborate with or necessarily directly trust, but in some sense we're beholden to slash are beholden to us. Whereas if you go to rural communities, that's not how it is. No. Cops are not going to show up there in two minutes. Like your security comes from knowing your neighbors and being friendly with them and trusting them mm-hmm. and, and, and depending on them. And that is almost always how life has been lived in human history, that our hyper-modern, hyper-urban, we don't know our neighbors, we don't know who to trust except for what we looked up, is kind of weird in retrospect. Mm -hmm. Really, most of what constitutes human security for many thousands of years has been personal relationships with those who are near to you that you trust and you love. I forget what comedian it was or who... Which comedian it was, excuse me, uh, that made this analogy. But like living in cities, living in apartment buildings, it's like you're living in an ant farm, but you don't yeah. like know the other ants at all. Like I don't know any. I, I, yeah, I'm guilty. No, I live I, in a guilty I, as charged. Same. I 
don't know my neighbors in my apartment building, yeah, but I go home to where my parents live in the suburbs of Philadelphia and I know every neighbor. We say hi. Mm-hmm. If they're if they're garbage cans at the corner and nobody's dri- driven it back yet, I'll pick it up and put it behind their house. Like uh, if my parents are gone for a weekend mm-hmm. and they need our neighbors to watch the dog, they're there to take them for a walk if they needs to be. Like and that's that, like it's like so normal on some level of mm-hmm. discourse to like behave that way. It's a very like American thing. Like all everything you said is so fucking American. <laughs> Great, perfect, <laughs> love it. But like on another level, it's like. Why is that so alien to us when we contemplate right. the internet? The internet is this place where everyone is in this massive apartment building where no one trusts anybody, right? Except exactly. for idiots <laughs> who are noobs <laughs> and will get hacked, right? But I think that's what's cool about crypto is crypto is so anchored in reality. It acknowledges mm-hmm. that, look, at the end of the day, we're physical creatures. Like, things cost energy. Like, violence is real. Like, if you can trust people, if you have people you really trust, like in terms of like human to human trust, you can make structures which are digitally incredibly hard to break. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like, so the web, like, you freaks that haven't dove, dove into like the web of trust uh, research in Bitcoin and like ways to secure your Bitcoin with the web of trust, like, seriously, look into it. Like, if there are, and, but the hardest part is developing that trust. Like I've not need. found any person who has a large amount of Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency who's sophisticated, who hasn't ultimately backed into the way to keep this safe, is there are real humans that love me and care about me that I will choose to trust. Exactly. That's just it. That's mm-hmm. the only way to do it. Um, humans or people that you pay that are incentivized the same way as you, and ideally mm-hmm. a mix of those. Yes. Right? So you have some mix of people that are just normal humans, and then some mix of those who are also part of your web of trust, who are paid to be part of it and have a certain SLAs around what they can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the future evolutions is we've gone from this very like feudal system of like literally we're like, stashing gold in our goddamn chariots as we move from place to place to this to this more networked world where like yes and IOUs and sort of fractional banking and those kinds of ideas will show up again because mm-hmm. webs of trust allow you to build those things and those things aren't inherently evil they're no. evil when they're when they're not transparent exactly right so if you can make those things transparently and you can let us be arbiters of who we choose to put into our web of trust like what a what an exciting world to to live in um, and what a fair representation of how humans truly build relationships. Mm-hmm. Right? I way rather trust humans I know and love than 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 a personal corporations. That yeah, are the out Bank there. of America, like who charges you twelve dollars a month for a maintenance fee on mm-hmm. software that they don't and, even touch. And whose college savings account I'm afraid to close since it's my <laughs> longest running account and would impact my credit score. And like, why am I beholden to these people? I hate them. I don't know who they are. Right. Ah. <sighs> What a beautiful conversation we've had. How far are we in? I don't know. We're running out of booze, though. Well, I think we're out of booze. We're an hour and 40 minutes in. Wow, that's so long. Do you... Uh, I guess we should wrap it up. Do you have any parting notes? Like, anything you want to hit on? Uh, I'm trying to think. You want to go to space. Like, let's get cosmic. Like, why... You want to get cosmic? How do you want to go to space? Like, Dude, what part I'm of space so do you want to... Do you want to go to the moon? Asked. Do you want to go to Mars? Do you want to go to another galaxy? Do you want to go... I want to go to space, but I'm afraid of normal flights. So I feel like <laughs> if there were like an actual like, hey, you can go to space, dog, it would be like, B.A. Baracus. Like, can you knock me out before you put me on that flight? <laughs> I'm not going to go. Um, on some level, I'm just a big bullshitter. But I will say I've had a couple threads about this, which are kind of weird on Twitter, which maybe if you're curious, you can investigate. But um, 
I'm a huge sci-fi nerd, as you can imagine. I'm a former physicist, like space and aliens and warp drives and and Einstein's theory of gravity are like all things I spent way too much time thinking about. Um, and for a long time, I always assumed that why are we not in space? Why aren't we at Alpha Centauri? Something that Vinay um, Gupta said, which I really love, is like what happened in the 50s is that we took the nuclear concept and we put it at the wrong end of the rocket <laughs> like we put it at the tip and mm -hmm. not the base right which is to say we create nuclear weapons not nuclear engines to help mm -hmm. us get to neighboring stars and other places in our own solar systems i love that idea i love that statement um had we done so had we done that in 1950 we had we just thrown nuclear engines real hard project orion right like thrown them on the back of spaceships and just blown the shit up out of those nuclear we would be at other stars like that's our other stars we would be at other stars today really? by now yes by now like it is within human capability to just launch a bunch of nuclear weapons and get a small payload to another star on the order of decades like we've known how to do that since 1950 really so. yes we've to another star to another star how close is the closest star to us extremely far away <laughs> one of the, my best my best the best way, I hired this one recently, which is, I, I think this is a beautiful way to visualize it. If, if, you, if you buy like a bag of like salt, like iodized salt crystals, mm -hmm. right? Like that bag has on the order of billions of salt crystals in it. That's roughly how many stars are in our galaxy. And if you sprinkle out that bag and you pretend that each, star, each salt crystal is like one star and you take one and you put it on your counter and you say, that's the sun. Well, how far away is the next nearest salt crystal, which represents Alpha Centauri? Answer, seven miles away. That's wild, From right? where you drop it on the table? So you take one of those salt crystals, you put it down there, and the next one has to be seven miles away. <laughs> oh and then that whole bag... At scale? At scale. That Holy whole bag shit. has got to be spread out over this massive volume of space in order to look like the galaxy. But that's, that's how far away stars are. But we could have got there. Like, we, if we had been... If we'd taken all the nuclear weapons we've made and we'd put them on the back of a rocket instead of the front and we'd launched that shit in 1950, we'd be there by now. We'd have pictures. It'd be awesome. So like, <laughs> Holy shit. We didn't do it because I guess we had wars to fight or whatever. We had stuff going on. We didn't, never got it done. We had bad leaders. Bad leaders, perhaps. But what I would also argue is like... Like the void between the stars, it's there. It's a void of matter, but it's like a void of incentive too. There's nothing there. Like why? Why go to that star? Or why spend all this nuclear energy to go there? It's foolish. Mm -hmm. Like why do it? Um, and then further, like even though you don't know why, like the other question that crops up is like, say you did, say you had actually done that, and like let's say let's even go further. Let's say hundred years from now, two hundred years, there are humans out there. There are humans at that other star. How does it work? Like money. You know, it's like never a question I've ever asked before, which is fucked up because like I watch a lot of Star Trek and I love space movies and I'm always like, oh, it's so cool. Corellian ale, you're buying some at the cantina. That's great. But like if you think about it, what did you use to buy the Corellian ale? You know, like where did the money come from? People think Bitcoin's a good intergalactic money. You can set up uh, node propagation systems. As it is, I think it would need some changes. But what certainly is bad money is everything else. Like you cannot have money that's defined by a database and have it work and this tell me I show up with a with a greenback with Lincoln on the front. They're not going to accept it. And well, because it's 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 this weird issue of like information transfer, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you leave Earth and you're headed to Alpha Centauri and it takes you, God, I don't know, ten years to get there, right? Whatever, nuclear engines or some crazy shit. 
what if you just spend all your money on Earth before you leave? And then you're headed to Alpha Centauri and you get there and you re-spend it because they don't know that you spent it on Earth yet because it <laughs> takes four and a half years for light <laughs> information to get there. Like, the... F- the universe is so fundamentally local, and one of the one of the reasons I think the universe is fundamentally local is like God doesn't trust us. He thinks we fuck shit up. You know what I mean? And it's just like you know, it's a great way to keep everyone safe. Just spread them out. <laughs> just like look, keep these humans way far away from those Alpha Centaurians. And if these guys do some idiotic shit, it won't affect them. And so as a result, the universe is extremely spread out. But what that creates is it's extremely hard to synthesize or integrate information. Mm-hmm. At, at a cosmic scale it's so hard to know that this person hasn't just sent a signal way the hell over there because of those multi-year light separations between those places the only solution and i never pondered this before because i ne- never ever thought this was relevant i was like the hard part is getting there i don't want to hear about the money the hard part is getting there <laughs> but recently i've sort of inverted and i've been like we already know how to get there well, we just need to strap a bunch of nuclear weapons onto this thing and and and, and do it we just need to do it the hard part is the money like, what is there that's valuable that we're going to want to make money from? Like, you can't bring anything back with you. That makes it extremely hard to trade. Like, mm-hmm. you can't, like, it's not going to the new world to bring back spices and tobacco and potatoes. It's not and, the old Silk Road. Like, like it's, it's, it's something different than that. There's nothing mm-hmm. you're going to bring back from there other than information that, that you can even transfer over that distance. So it's not, you can trade very easily. So it creates this vacuum of incentive, just like there's a vacuum of matter. But like, whatever. Say that you even had a reason to be out there. How do you build economic systems that bridge parts of the universe that are years apart in terms of communication time? The only solution is you invent a long-term integration layer which is to say you have this process by which there's a period in which all transactions that need to be counted are like allotted and grouped Mm -hmm. and then confirmed. And that is a blockchain. And so it kind of feels to me like I've spent so many years thinking about like, oh, how do we get better fusion engines and how we do all this stuff? And like maybe what I need to think about is like, how do we build a system that truly can incentivize like groups of humans to like leave like our our little area of the universe and head out on their own and still be economically able to transact with us maybe that's what's been holding us back is like i think it's one of the things that has been and i never appreciated it until like i could understand bitcoin and realize that it's not exactly bitcoin because of the 10 minutes and the whatever else but like some tweaks like there's a version of that idea which does work and it mm-hmm. does work to create like you know like hundred year long block times that are capable yes. of integrating economic activity amongst the most nearby stars it sounds like a good side chain right, in the like, future it's a fascinating it's a totally fascinating problem that is irrelevant and it is it though so in the spirit of bitcoin (laughs) it it reminds me of how i got into bitcoin which is just like here's this problem which i think is irrelevant and it turns out i'm wrong it's totally relevant and really important and by not ranking its relevancy correctly i missed out on two years of owning bitcoin so a little bit i'm just like i no longer I'm no longer making those claims. I think all problems are relevant. All right, so uh, Drew and I are starting an intergalactic space company after this podcast. Yes. What if we are the smartest civilization in the universe? Would you be happy, sad, uh, surprised? I think about it a lot. I read a great, I saw a great YouTube video recently that was like, what if most civilizations in the universe, most things in the, most life in the universe is like, um, living in these little frozen moons mm-hmm. like we look at our solar system there's earth earth is great but like where else is there water so far we think it's on these frozen moons of saturn and jupiter, jupiter right? Right, like europa yeah. enceladus 
like it's really hard to light fires and do metallurgy if like you have fins and like you're enmeshed in like ocean right so maybe that's what's remarkable about humans is that we live on an air-based planet we can light fires we can make um do metallurgy to create silicon circuits to build computers to create um, truly relativistic financial systems that create the economic incentives to cause us to really expand across the galaxy. So maybe von Neumann probes don't exist, not because they're impossible to make, but because the economics are stupid. Not un- there. Yeah. Until we develop this. I don't know. <sighs> Holy shit. That's why you got to enjoy life, people. It's precious. Indeed. Right? Indeed. Is, Indeed. That, is that what we're getting to at the end here? That's what I think. Like, enjoy it. Like Enjoy it. Hopefully, Bitcoin makes you appreciate it more to an extent, or appreciate what you have, or might. It gives me a viewpoint that is crazy, right? Like, what if we're? Are we really building a system of money that's going to last for thousands of years? And thousands of years from now, they're going to be able to come back to our Genesis block and look at it and like ask questions about Satoshi, right? That's wild. If that's true, like, um, gosh, like, what's the only comparable I can think of are like, you know. I don't know, John and Mark, like the apostles who wrote the Bible, right? Yeah. Or like, or someone who built the pyramids or whoever invented zero or like, <laughs> I'm telling like some weird shit, man. And again, like we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We don't know if it will, if that will come to fruition. But again, like Look, I the hate thought being, experiment. I, I hate being wrong. And so I'm so reticent to like I've, I've i've for many years never told anybody that i know that they should buy bitcoin because I, I just don't want to be responsible for any sort of mm-hmm. pain or regret on their part i'm just not not interested in it recently i've been reconsidering that and i've been telling my dad dad you should buy some bitcoin I have i've been to. telling some folks in my family you should get into this you should, it's a real thing i no longer feel so bad and i feel like even if the price goes down it'll come back up and i have more confidence in it um so i'm starting to believe in this thing more less ironically mm-hmm. uh, i'm believing in it less ironically i don't feel like every time i say it could be a big thing i've got to hedge it with but i could be wrong like yes i could be wrong but like less and less does that seem the case um but then this starts to touch on what we were talking about previously like are we really such a lucky generation that we just happen to be the right age right? the right time that we got into this like are we you know, we're like war profiteers or like, you know, the folks that were in reconstruction after the civil war, we just like happen to be here at the exact right time to make bank. No, but it's happened throughout history. So maybe we are, you know, and it's maybe we'll be rewarded for being the few people on earth that recognize that while was going on on earth or nearby. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Well, that's another theory. Some people think, Satoshi is an alien that uh, that noticed the strife going on on Earth and and uh, bestowed upon us a perfect moment. What a remarkably like nerdy economist version of Star Trek, where it's like the Prime Directive <laughs> is not we shall show up and do nothing and let them observe. The Prime Directive is like once they get sufficiently advanced, we'll just show up and teach them about blockchains, and then that'll help them hook into like the universal economic machine, and then we can exploit them for their resources. And yes, yeah, so the complete opposite of what I described. Like maybe we're not. Maybe we're the dumbest civilization in the universe, and this is a like a, a Turing test to see if we can join the universal economy, if we can handle these blockchains. Like all right. That's yeah. a good question. Is it more depressing to be the first or like to be alone? Right. Or or to be like way the last and you're like not even interesting because everything you've done has been done by some other crappy alien before. Yeah. I would, uh, 
I would I would say that uh, the first scenario is more romantic of us being the smartest uh, civilization in the universe. But it's also a good thing if uh, we're becoming smart enough to join the universal economy. And it's, like, it's a good check mark to check off, you know. Mm-hmm. Check plus. <laughs> All right. We're almost two hours in here. What else? This has been... It's been one of my favorite conversations I've had in, in months. Um, thanks for getting me really drunk, Marty, and let me talk about aliens on your TV show. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you're drunk because this isn't a TV show. You're not going to be on TV at all. Don't worry. What, what, what's all the cameras for then? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. We uh, we took our shirts off and recorded this, <laughs> like uh, Kevin Famine at Chris Rose. But uh, no, I'm kidding. I kid. Ah, that was incredible. Do you have a parting note? Anything you want the freaks out there to know? Any tips, any advice, anything about Unchained? We've been here for almost 10 years, but so early. I feel like rules are just being figured out. Um, There's already pressure to think like other people and to accept what thought leaders tell you and to accept what the powerful and those who've established themselves tell you. And I, I just, I never accept that. I feel like this whole industry is built around the idea of thinking for yourself and being independent, and yet because we're monkeys we're so eager to be told what to do so the only part we know to have is don't listen to anything that marty or i have ever said <laughs> just think for yourself comes to your own decisions um weigh the evidence decide i think that's the uh the best parting tidbit we've gotten on this uh podcast Driv, <laughs> it's been a pleasure thank you for coming thank by you, marty off the flight in the studio very uh very admiral that your that your mind was that uh uh, coherent. And I drank on the plane, man. I was prepared. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we got for this freak for this week, freaks. You tell them drunk. Uh, peace and love. <laughs>